That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Told that it wouldn't be weeks, it would be days before we would know what was happening with the Pac-12 conference. We now know it'll probably be hours before we figure that out. The Pac-12 conference presidents and chancellors, the CEO group, uh, will be uh, meeting tomorrow. And they'll be talking about their media rights deal. They've been talking about it, we've been talking about it, hell, we've been talking about it for a year. Needs to be over at some point, doesn't it? make it stop if you're a pac-12 fan you're not in this to hear about media rights you're not in this to hear about uh uh you know the potential expansion candidates you're not in this what are you in this for you're in it for an escape you're in it for a diversion you're not in this to uh to be all about what is going on with the pac-12 conference but that's what pac-12 talk has been about We haven't been able to talk mostly about football, about the quarterbacks, about the upcoming season, about where I should be in week five, six, seven. Those are the normal discussions we have. Where do we need to be? What is going to happen with the Pac-12 conference? Arizona, the latest to potentially step out on the Pac-12. And yet, Robert Robbins, the president in Arizona has told his peers that he will wait. He'll wait to see what the media rights numbers are. He'll wait to uh, weigh what Arizona's future should be. He will uh, ultimately wait and uh, show respect to his conference, his peers in his conference, uh, before Arizona makes a decision on whether it stays or leaves to the Big 12. In the last week, we have seen Colorado, uh, a whole bunch of uncertainty and Uh, that have emerged in the landscape, and I don't blame people who are a little bit nervous. Uh, There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just reporting on it. I'm just writing about it. I'm just telling you what I know. But I'll tell you what I know in this segment, and I want your phone calls on the Pac-12 conference. If I told you months ago, if I told you that the Pac-12 had an opportunity to trade Colorado for San Diego State, if you're a glass, glass half full person, that's probably how you would spin the current state of affairs for the Pac-12. But if I told you you have an opportunity to make a trade, you can trade Colorado straight up for San Diego State, a whole bunch of you would probably have made that deal. You'd say, hey, maybe a better football program, maybe a better, certainly a better basketball program, and you make that trade in a heartbeat. But I, look, I'd rather have them both. If I'm the Pac-12, I'd rather have the security of having additional teams. I'd rather have not lost a team to the Big 12 Conference. I think there are some serious questions for the Pac-12 about what has happened 
and I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Line it up. We'll take your calls across the Pac-12 footprint. I know a lot of San Diego State fans are probably tuned in today because they want to know what is going on with San Diego State and potential expansion. I have thoughts on that. I have more that I can share here that I shared in print. Uh, SMU fans who are tuning in, they are nervous. They are anxious. It's kind of a now-or-never moment for SMU as well, isn't it? For a long time, SMU has wanted to get into a Power 5 conference, wanted to matter. And people who understand the landscape of college athletics in the state of Texas understand, like, hey, SMU doesn't really move the needle in the state of Texas. But here comes their opportunity in the form of the Pac-12 conference. It's a conference that may need the Dallas-Fort Worth television market to get a number that it likes, a number that would help them retain Arizona. It may also need SMU to help it get San Diego State. Think about the logistics of this. San Diego State would be facing the potential of a $34 million exit fee from the Mountain West Conference. Now, I'm told by multiple parties that those exit fees are often negotiated down. They're often strung out over several years. Conferences do not like to get in litigation with conference members. And what I'm saying is a lot of things are negotiable in the college athletics world. You don't see these entities suing each other. You see them trying to work together and people not trying to keep programs and teams and conferences that they don't want to be in. I do believe that there's going to be expansion. It'll be one or two teams, I'm told. But a lot of this hinges on Arizona's decision that will come in the wake of tomorrow's news as George Kleopkoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, is expected to put numbers and deals in front of his presidents. I'm really curious to know what the numbers are. I don't know them. I'm really curious to know who the partners are. I have a suspicion that it's Apple and, and ESPN, but I don't know that. Nobody's telling me that from inside the Pac-12 inner sanctum. Nobody's giving me that from the media world. And I'm left kind of going, huh, who are the potential partners and what are the numbers? Those are important things for Arizona. Because what Arizona really probably wants to see is that the Pac-12 is within range of $31.6, $31.7 million, which is the Big 12's annual distribution. But Arizona's got a bigger problem. Arizona has said and been on record that it doesn't want to. Roll your eyes here if you want. It doesn't want to ideally be separated from Arizona State. And the problem is that the Big 12 Conference can likely only take one team, one more team, and go to 14 under its current media deal with Fox and ESPN. They don't have it in the contract that they can expand beyond two additions, and they already took Colorado. I think it's why you've seen UConn offered as a fallback option for the Big 12. I think it's why you have heard the Big 12 talk about only taking one more. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens tomorrow. My prediction, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of anxiety overnight. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, unsourced and unconfirmed reports. We have seen that run rampant in the last 13, 14 months. There's going to be a lot of eye rolling. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, does George Klyovkov have the deal? Has he been bluffing to this point? And potentially, Arizona's going to be faced with a decision, stay or go. Would you rather be in the Big 12 if you're Arizona? or the Pac-12, all things being equal. From a basketball standpoint, Arizona playing uh, games with Kansas in the Big 12, that certainly looks interesting. From a, fi from a fiscal standpoint, 
if you have a deal that is about 31.6, 31.7 million in annual meteorites distributions in hand, that's good. But what's the exit fee from the Big 12? Is it 100 to 120 million dollars like Texas and Oklahoma found out? And does Arizona want to sign on for that knowing that the landscape of college athletics in five years, in seven years, in ten years, could look dramatically different. There are factors, there are tentacles to this decision, and I want to kick it around with you. Does Arizona really leave Arizona State if it comes to that? And what does the Pac-12 do if Arizona does go? Do they just backfill with SMU and San Diego State and say, hey, we're at 10, we're good. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. What's on your mind? we got a great show today. We're going to talk a little bit about Damian Lillard, where I think he starts the season next year. The Adam Silver NBA playoff, uh, NBA Players Association, rather, uh, you know, letter that goes out involving Lillard. We'll break it down. I'll tell you what my read on it is. I want to talk a little bit about Portland State football and why I think they deserve your attention this season. I think you should give the Vikings a little bit of your attention. I have a suspicion they're going to be sneaky good in the big sky, and especially if you get turned off by what is going on in major college football, uh, the Big Sky Conference is not a bad place to find it. I spent time there uh, last week, a week ago, doing some work with the Big Sky and hanging out at their media day, and it was really interesting to kind of go behind the curtains and go, oh, this is what college football used to be, kids playing just to play. Let's go to the phone lines, 503-417-7575. We're going to start with David, who's calling in from Astoria. David, welcome. Hey, John. I don't know what to think until I uh, hear what news from tomorrow, so I'll hold my fire till then, except that uh, now I'm pissed at the Big 12 for their poaching efforts, and I'm a little curious about your take on – all these people talking about Pac-12 long-term incompetence, which is justified in my eyes, but they're lumping Klyovkov in with uh, our Larry Scott. Yeah, our, our not not dearly departed Larry Scott. Um, is that legitimate? I I think that's crock. Well, it's two different things. It, it, look, I do think that that George Klyovkov deserves some criticism. It, it's, it comes with being in that seat. If you're the head football coach at Oregon and you lose to Washington, you have to face questions after the game. If you are the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference and you lose Colorado to the Big 12 Conference and you lose USC and UCLA, 25% of your conference leaves on you in your first you know, 23, 24 months on the job, you've got some questions to answer. And so I think he deserves some criticism. I think the bigger criticism is not Colorado, though, because the, it, it kind of read to me that Colorado probably wasn't a great fit in the Pac-12 all along and that Colorado may have just been kind of looking over at the Big 12 going, hey, I think we can win faster there with Coach Prime. And it may have just been Coach Prime saying, hey, I want to be in Florida and Texas and you know, and Rick George, the athletic director at Colorado, who came on this show and said, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to a 14-team conference when we could be in a 10-team conference. And, you know, and there he goes. It may have just been Rick George. He's hired and fired three football coaches. He has hitched his wagon, so to speak, to, to Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. And if he doesn't win, he uh, is going to get fired himself. And so maybe he is just setting up Coach Prime for everything he can possibly want 
and get, and he's going. But some of this this uh, moment of truth that we're facing tomorrow was caused by USC and UCLA leaving. And, you know, if I'm George Klyovkov, i got to be doing some soul searching and saying, could I have done more? When I walked in the door, shouldn't I have, should I have camped at USC? When Carolyn Fultz said, hey, no, no, we're happy, we're here, should I have said, no, 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 you can't be happy, you can't be here, I want to make sure you don't leave, what am I missing? Like, you know, what did he miss there? Yeah, he's got to be asking himself that. Meanwhile, though, you have to acknowledge that the Pac-12 conference was put on the road to perdition, the road to where they are now, by Larry Scott. Champagne Larry. He looked out for himself, took $50 million in salary, and ran the conference right into the ground and put it in the position where USC and UCLA didn't feel very good and went, eh, this is, this is not what it is. This is not great. So I think you have to recognize that, like, hey, part of making three, four, five million dollars in today's world as a conference commissioner is owning the bad stuff that happens to your conference when you're commissioner. That's your job. It's part of the job. So I think George Kleofkoff deserves some criticism. I don't think it's fair to lump him with Larry Scott totally, because Larry Scott, I think, had you know ten, eleven years to to you know cause what is happening now and unfolding in uh, 23 months of George Klyovkov's watch. You know, I, I do think Klyovkov should have read the room better. Like, I know he read my series on Larry Scott when he came through the door because he's made comments to me offhanded after a news conference in Vegas once after the Pac-12 tournament. I, you know, he uh, kind of made this offhanded remark about not staying in a suite in Vegas. You know, I, I asked him where did he live as in passing, I said, where do you live? How far from the Strip do you live? And he says, oh, I don't, I'm not staying in uh, one of those suites uh, at, the, uh, at the MGM. And he kind of laughed. He said, I'm staying at home. Basically, he was saying, hey, I'm not staying in that luxury suite at, at Aria that Larry Scott had. It's like 20,000 square foot suite with a marble soaking tub and a butler. But I, give, I put Larry Scott as the primary reason with the Pac-12 ending up where they are. But I think George Klyovkov has, has had some shaky strategy. And to be fair to him, he is negotiating in probably the worst time in media recent media rights uh, you know, atmosphere and landscape. But he's got to accept some of that. It comes with the territory. Let's go to Tualatin. Gary's in Tualatin, Oregon. Gary, welcome. Hey, John. Go Ducks. So when this all started in uh, SC and UCLA bolted, I said uh, go Big 12, merge with them. Uh, the geography is good. Um, there's some pretty decent rivalries that could happen down there. Uh, a lot of TVs. Uh, it, it seemed like the, the better of the matches. And now they kind of pulled the, pl- the rug out from their own uh, uh, out from under their own feet. Uh, and don't have a lot of choices. So if they can go Big 12, great. But if it ends up every man for themselves, maybe Oregon goes SEC. Yeah, I don't. SEC I don't understand West, the something along I, those lines. I don't understand the every man for themselves thinking that's out there right now. People keep saying, "Oh, it's the end of the Pac-12. It's every man for themselves." Even if Arizona leaves, even if Arizona and Arizona State left, even if Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah left you'd still be faced with a conference that could backfill and would still have enough members to be an automatic qualifier for the college football playoff. So I don't, I don't see a every-man-for-themselves scenario. On the idea of a merger, though, look, 
And I'm not saying those things are going to happen, so don't at me. I'm just saying, like, worst-case doomsday scenario, the naysayers end up right. That's that's a scenario that, you know, I'm addressing there. But here's the other thing. Like, if you are trying to merge conferences, and I've raised this with a number of TV executives, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are not worth more together. They're worth less. They're worth less if you bundle them. I have bounced that off a number of people. They're also not going to get a seat at the CFP table as, you know, they're, not, they're only going to get one chair. So if you merge the conferences, the Power Five becomes the Power Four. You don't have two representatives from the Big 12, the Pac-12 representative and the Big 12 representative. No, you only have one seat. So, they're, you know, as they talked early on, I know this to be a fact, as they talked early on, you know, they just kind of said, hey, does this make sense? The respective conferences looked at each other and said, who gets the seat? And they said, well, you know, we'd lose the seat. Nobody could agree on that. They also looked at it and said, hey, um, you know, what would we be worth together versus separate? And all of the consultants and all the media companies told them you're not worth more together you, because you have a lot of redundant markets. Like, you know, it's part of the reason why Utah is probably not a strong Big 12 candidate. Salt Lake City is already captured by BYU. You get it? So I think that, you know, the rivalry would add something, certainly, with BYU if they both wanted to be in the same conference. But there are some things there that are a little wonky. That's why the Big 12 probably only wants Arizona, not Arizona State, because they're already grabbing Phoenix, so to speak, by getting Arizona. But I I don't think a merger in the way that Gary lays it out would work. And in, in fact, I don't think, like, ideally, if you're picking, like, the best schools in the Big 12 and the best schools in the Pac-12, you know, it it's not going to be a lot of one or the other. A lot of the good media markets are in the Pac-12 conference. That's why the Pac-12 is under fire and under attack. I do want to ask you a question, though, John, yeah. about the merger. Welcome back, by the way. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the merger thing, because the, the CFP, that's only under contract for, what, another one or two years, I believe? And then they're going to make basically new rules. So could it just be where... If they did actually merge, it might be better because they can make rules around that. The The current contract with ESPN runs through 2526. But beyond that, they're going to go long-term. They're going to sell it to multiple entities. And it, it, that's when it'll blow up and become worth a whole lot more. And so right now the, the fear is that if you merge these two things, you only get one seat at the table. You only get one automatic qualifier. You don't get two two votes you get one vote you only get two teams in and what do you have you have you know 20 24 teams fighting for two births that doesn't make any sense but, but and, if you're the pac-12 could there be a potential where if if they lose arizona let's just say they decide to leave you could lose your chair anyways or is the pac-12 always going to have a chair I, as long as oregon and washington are there? well i don't want to say always but i think as long as you've got oregon washington stanford cal utah you know, you could start saying, hey, what? who do you fill with? San Diego State, SMU, you could grab UNLV. Yes, you start to feel a little bit like the Mountain West Conference, but I don't think you lose your seat at the table. I don't think major college football is ready to do that now. But the bigger thing is just the media rights value. Like Bob Thompson, the former, the retired president of Fox Sports Networks, I said to him, like, hey, give me an idea, Pac-12, Big 12, merge them. And he's like, they're nowhere near the same amount of value your average annual distribution would drop dramatically uh, if you merge those conferences. They're, they're just worth more separately than bundled. 
Mark is in Portland. Let's go to the phone lines. Mark, go ahead. Holy crap. Can we get a kickoff to a football no game? No kidding. <laughs> Amen. Um, you know, for me, this has been going on since 1998 when they took the Rose Bowl away from the Pac-12 and, and the SEC, ESPN. It's, it's, you know, 2001, Oregon was a clear team to play for the title in the Rose Bowl and got shafted. 2003, USC ranked number one in both polls. They controlled who played in that title game. I don't care what anybody says. All the circumstantial evidence is there. And it's this whole stuff just drives me crazy, John. I want my team, which is the Oregon Ducks, to play in a conference that if they win their conference, they control their own destiny, period, like every other team sport on the planet. It's an absolute joke what the SEC and, and the powers that be are still trying to do. They're trying to destroy the whole West Coast or whatever. And it just it doesn't make any sense to me. It does, it's start, not, yeah. It started with the four-team playoff where they just shut out the Pacific time zone. And they just said, okay, you're not going to matter. You don't matter. And I think it was, a, it was a strategic misfire in college sports. And now they're saying, hey, all that matters is the L.A. market, really, by, by the Big Ten Conference grabbing UCLA and USC. I think it's going to be really interesting what happens tomorrow. Let's go quickly to Turk, who's in San Jose, California. Turk, what's the temperature there? Uh, Johnny Ball game. It's about seventy-two, sunny and clear, no wind. It's beautiful. There you go. I like uh, that. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Uh, you take teams like, let's say, if you want to go Pac-12, you go Gonzaga. They'd be perfect to slide in for basketball. They don't have the football caliber like a Georgetown. They don't have the football caliber. So what do you do with them? And then when you look at college football, the whole arena of it. You got you eventually going to have four power conferences. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas are getting 160 to 200 million dollars each a year to go to the SEC, and why not? Because the SEC is going to get a new contract with some network, and they're going to bolster these teams, and they're going to make more and more and more money. Because obviously, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I I hear you uh, also. Yeah, I hear you also on. I love that he started by actually giving me the temperature. But um, I I I hear you on college football trying to become about one thing or another, and mainly about the biggest sixty teams in the land. Ultimately, that's where it wants to go. I don't think it's great if it does go there, because there's a loss of tradition. There's a, a loss of geography there's a loss of nostalgia that is happening now before our very eyes here to talk about it next ken go sports columnist we're going to kick that around also we'll talk about damian lillard what did what is the nba trying to do with lillard and where does he start the season i've got thoughts on it leave it here you got the bft well the university of oregon held their media today media day today in eugene dan lanning oregon coach Fresh off an extension, he's getting $7 million to coach this football season. Got a raise in an extension. He was asked about Colorado leaving the Pac-12. Here's what Dan Lanning said. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. <laughs> I kind of like it. Ken Go. Sports writer, sports columnist, longtime Oregonian writer joining us now to talk about college athletics. How you doing, Ken? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's going to happen next. 
you and I were texting a little this morning, and I said, you got to come on and talk about it. You know, you hit on something. You were talking about tradition. You were talking about the Saturday football games, the rivalries, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff I grew up on. And we're watching that deep be deprioritized right now in college athletics. Yeah, you know, I, I feel I'm – I'm old and I'm really out of step with what's happening right now because that isn't that what's happening now. The, the values that are expressed and, and the moves that are being made aren't um, don't represent what what made me love college football. The the, the fall tang in the air and the the Saturday afternoon. Looks like we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here. Looks we'll like, try to get looks everybody. Like, uh, oh, there we I go. think it's just on the Ken Go end. I, I'm. Uh, I, I thought I had dropped off. Let's see if we can get him back. Kenny, right. are you there? Kenny, Kenny's not there. Let's see if we can get back on the phone. I, he was just wax going into it. I thought Stephen. I thought it was me. I thought I had dropped off because everything just went silent on my end. But apparently, it was Ken's phone line maybe that went down yeah so, i had no idea what was happening i just uh, i freaked out there for a second you know i did too because i, I was looking going did i drop did he drop uh I don't judy, know. judy gave me the thumbs up should be ready all right he's back all right ken sorry we lost you there let's start over go ahead yeah i don't know what happened I, you know as i'm i'm old right so as i grew up my formative years uh what i loved about college football were, were the crisp saturday afternoons and the, the rivalry games um uh, the the atmosphere of a college football campus on on Saturday afternoon and, and none of that seems to matter anymore. It's it's all about uh, scramble for money and who's got the the most television sets and and who can control the the most uh, you know viewership on on any given Saturday and, and um, money and that that's all that, that seems to matter and and all those things that you know uh, Oregon Washington or I grew up in Colorado, and the, the Colorado-Nebraska game was was always huge in uh, Colorado, and now uh, they never play. Nebraska's ventured off to the Big Ten and, and gone from a college football powerhouse to sort of a doormat. The Colorado defection to the Big 12, you know, it bothered me because I want conferences to have, you know, geography to them, but I also looked at Colorado and thought, gosh, Maybe they just identified as a Big 12 conference member that was stuck in the Pac-12 all along. What did you make of that? Yeah, you know, I, I never thought Colorado was a good fit for the Pac-12. I think uh, the Pac-12 reached out for the, the Denver TV market, and uh, Colorado was looking at a chance to get in a conference with where they would visit uh, Los Angeles regularly, and, and uh, that would enable their recruiting to be better in Southern California. I don't think either thing really happened. Um, you know, Colorado's move to the Pac-12 happened at just about the same point. They fell off the map athletically from a, a team that really challenged for national championships for a while there to, to an also-ran, and um, they weren't ever successfully able to recruit Southern California, uh, I don't think. And then the two Southern California schools bailed. So um, I think uh, they looked and, and said, you know, what are our strengths? What are our – we're our national rivalries. They're not on the West Coast, so um, and, and where's their prime recruiting ground? Well, maybe Texas. So I don't think the the Pac-12 was a good fit either way anymore. 
Ken Go with us, longtime sports writer. He's retired now. He's living the good life. Uh, Ken, let me ask you, you know, when you look at where this conference is today, you've covered it for decades and decades. Could you have ever foreseen UCLA, USC gone, the conference losing members, potentially like Arizona or Arizona State, you know, it it really is, I think, tomorrow a pretty big day for the conference. But could you have ever foreseen this as you were covering the football and covering the stuff that we all thought mattered? Yeah, well, that's exactly it, because all the, the things that mattered for decades don't matter anymore. Um, geography is, is is an afterthought. When when USC and UCLA can leave and go to the, the Big Ten, then geography has nothing to do with anything. And um, the, let's face it, I mean, they were the linchpin of the, of the Pac-12. And with them gone, uh, you know, what is the Pac-12? It's, it's sort of just a, a slightly better Mountain West conference. And, and how are they going to replace those schools? Well, um, probably going to have to dig into the Mountain West, right? So you, you trade – UCLA and USC for San Diego State and SMU or Fresno State or Boise State or Colorado State or whatever, I mean, that's not a fair trade. And uh, I think the conference is going to suffer athletically because of it. Ken, uh, is there any going back on this, or do you kind of just look at this as the, you know, the, the deterioration of sports and the prioritization of television that you know, coincide? I think we're still in a transition period. I don't know where it's going to end up. I, I think at some point um, college football, at, at least at the Division One level and in the power conferences, is just going to have to get real about what it is. It's, it's not a, a co-curricular sport that's part of the higher education system. It's a minor league. And um, the sooner they they understand that and come to terms with it and accept it and, and just be what they are, which is professional – and you're going to have all these weird contortions like we're seeing now with all the conference realignment. And, you know, I don't think, um, you know, they, they sort of got to dis- disassociate themselves from the higher education experience, I think. I mean, and, and you know what, I, I read, you know, I'm out of it now, and I, I follow uh, the happenings by, by reading you guys uh, um, who are keeping up on it and doing a, a damn good job. But but the higher education part is, is forgotten. I mean, it, that's not an equation at all in any of the stories you write or a very small part of the equation. It's, it's all about, you know, value uh, to the, to, to what, to your bottom line, you know, how, how is this, you know, to what this, uh, what would Oregon bring to the, the big 10? And it's all, it's not about, you know, their, their classroom or their business school or their school of architecture. It's, you know, uh, wins and losses and flashy uniforms. And, um, so, I mean, it, it's essentially a minor league now, so let's just, you know, cut the crap and let's um, uh, stop this NIL stuff and, and just let's let's pay the players. Let's just come out front. Let's, let's make, make it a employees. professional league, which is what it is. Quit, yeah. quit doing all these weird contortions to try to get around being professional. I've wondered if it did just – full boat, open the gates, go professional, how it would stack up given that it would be in competition with something like the NFL for part of the year. Do you think it becomes a, you know, complementary piece to the NFL game still, or would people start to view it as an inferior product to the NFL? Well, it is an inferior product to the NFL. I mean, that's not why people love it, right? Um, 
And then and so what I would think is you got to get back to the, the things that that made people love the sport originally. You know, people get all jazzed for Texas and Oklahoma or Ohio State and Michigan or um, Oregon and Washington, and those are important games not because they're the best games played, but because of the passion that the fans have and the players have for those games. I'm just wondering if when UCLA is playing Rutgers, if that's going to move the needle, you know, and, and is that going to be enough? Uh, Ken, go. Yeah. Ken, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I think UCLA just has to look at what happened in Nebraska, and Nebraska actually was better athletically, uh, at least in football, than than UCLA is, and now UCLA is going to have all the disadvantages Nebraska had going into the Big Ten and more with the travel component. Ken, uh, Oregon and Oregon State, you, you covered them for a whole bunch of years. You've seen these programs grow, and, you know, or they, they do it different ways. And Oregon State has taken Jonathan Smith and this program to a position where everybody expects them to be a, a ranked team and compete for a conference championship potentially. We certainly look at Dan Lanning and Oregon and go, hey, they've got the resources. They could compete. What do you make of those two programs and, and where they are and, and you know where they've come from? Yeah, I mean, they're both really good. I, I think you uh, expressed it really well. Um, they, they do it in such dramatically different ways. Uh, Oregon's trying to build top-down. They go out and try to find the, the best coach money can buy and, and try to give him all the resources he needs. Um, Oregon State does it a little differently. They're trying to build from the bottom up, so they went and found a, a guy that, that wasn't necessarily a high-profile guy uh, outside of the – the Pac-12, and particularly outside of the Northwest, that Oregon State knew who Jonathan Smith was, and and he understands where he is and how he has to go about winning, and I think he's done a remarkable job of doing it. So it's it's really two different ways of of doing the same thing, which is being successful. Ken, uh, you know, you uh, did you get a sense when you covered that guy that he could be a coach? Jonathan Smith, yeah, yeah. Um, you're talking about a guy that was uh, mediocre at best athletically and yet still was really successful. So, you know, he had something besides athletic ability to get him where he was. And those are the, those traits, those things that made him a good, you know, division one quarterback at, at five ten or whatever he was, are the things that, that are making him a really good head coach now. Ken, I appreciate your expertise and your time. Love hearing your voice, my friend. Thanks for uh, for joining us. Yeah, I'm always glad to talk to you, John. Take care. Keep up the good All right. work. All right. There he is, Ken Go, longtime sports writer. He's talking about the loss of nostalgia, the fact that the things that he loved about the college game were those Saturday afternoon kickoffs and the regional rivalries. There is a loss that we have all experienced, I think, since hearing about USC and UCLA leaving to the Big Ten Conference, certainly now Colorado going, and a big decision for Arizona on the horizon is the Pac-12 will present numbers to the presidents tomorrow. Uh, you know, a term sheet from Commissioner George Kyofkoff in front of his his chancellors and his presidents. Uh, you know, I told you to brace for a lot of hysteria, uh, a lot of hand-wringing in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, you know, there is a special meeting that is on the agenda for the Arizona University of Arizona Board of Regents. Um, I'm told by one source it has nothing to do with sports. But, uh, you know, I believe that when I see it, you know, like with Colorado saying to to the faces of the rest of the Pac-12, 
hey, we are, we're in this. We're with you. There's solidarity. Oh, wait a minute. We're gone. You know, like that's the world we're living in. Everybody's a pirate. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Well, we had camp exceptional last week, summer camp, uh, the annual summer camp for typical kids and special needs kids that uh, the BFT Foundation supports. And, uh, Stephen, your kids were out there running around. My kids were out there running around, a whole bunch of volunteers. But how about the uh, Portland State football team in particular volunteering every day, sending team leaders out there, just crushing it? Oh, they were awesome. And, yeah, my kids are out there. My littlest, Hudson, he, he struggled a little bit the first day. And then, uh, he, you know, he found a uh, a camp counselor named Ronan who plays at Portland State, Port- Ronan Gay, and he uh, kind of hung to him. And, you know, he was holding his hand. The wife got some cute pictures of that. And, he, you know, they were awesome. You know, to, to, to give your time for that kind of thing and watch all the kids have fun, get along with each other, just playing, playing, doing sports, doing activities. It's just a lot of fun in the sun. And, I, I mean, it was just uh, – it was cool to see as a father to see just such a cool event that gets kids out there and active and having fun. So it was, it was a really good time. And, you know, look, look, I think anytime you can humanize a college football player, it's a win. And, and for the Portland State kids, like Bruce Barnum has, you know, said, look, our guys want to be part of this. And, you know, the University of Portland men's basketball team has come out and Portland State's men's basketball team has come out. But to see that football team out there, Year after year, uh, you know, just supporting, hanging out, being uh, a positive part of the community is really cool. They're going to play at Oregon in their season opener. And I know that that is a tall order. And my my hope for Portland State in that, in that game is that they don't get a bunch of guys hurt because those payday games sometimes result in that. Because the big opportunity for Portland State comes in week two. The Vikings go to Wyoming in week two. That might be one they could get. Like, they go to Wyoming. They've got a good quarterback. They've got some depth. If they don't get all beat up in the opener, it's possible they could be one and one heading to week three. And then if you look around the Big Sky, look, I hung out at the Big Sky Conference Media Day and uh, got to know a lot of the players and coaches. And as I looked around, one of the things that jumped out at me was that there's a tremendous amount of turnover right now in the Big Sky. It's a really unusual year. Five new head coaches among the 12 conference members. So Bruce Barnum is the longest tenured coach in the Big Sky Conference, eight seasons. Now, Montana and Montana State are always going to be good, but Sacramento State's got a new coaching staff. You have a brand-new coaching staff at Cal Poly. you got a new coaching staff at Idaho State. Uh, I'm starting to look around and go, you know what? Like, this might be a year where you could get behind Portland State, and certainly they deserve some attention. And when you look at their schedule, I'll just point out, you know, the first time they play a home game is in week three. If they're one and one heading to week three, it might be worth checking out. And they open the Big Sky Conference on September 23rd at home against Cal Poly. So, you know, there's a couple of home dates early on in Portland State's schedule where I hope people give them some love, show up for them, give them an opportunity to uh, demonstrate that they're, uh, that they're worth a damn. Because I think those kids for Portland State did a big thing last week in showing up for a bunch of kids at a summer camp, and uh, I don't think those kids will ever forget it. No, and to see, to see those guys, you know, 
football guys, especially in basketball guys as well, like they're just so big and tall and they seem larger than life, right? Like that's the thing is, you know, these athletes seem larger than life, especially these kids. And, you know, like yeah. I know my oldest son, he was just so excited when he was, you know, around the University of Portland basketball players because he loves basketball. He's into the Blazers right now. He couldn't believe that the University of Portland was at there and he was going to play with them. Like it's just, that's it, cool. Yeah, it's something he's going to remember. So, yeah, I mean, big shout out to all those kids, all the counselors, but especially those athletes because, you know, they have so much going on. And it is hard, you know, you got to work out, you got to you know, practice, you got to study, but they went out and they helped the kids, man. There's nothing better than that. I think the uh, the football players in particular came to life on about Wednesday because Wednesday was football day at the camp, and it was the players teaching skills that they know. You know, they were teaching kids how to backpedal and break on the ball. They were teaching kids how to break down and, you know, not make a tackle but pull a flag. They were playing flag football. They were teaching kids pursuit, why it's important for all 11 players on the field to pursue and it was kind of fun to see that and then see them play games. And and for people who don't know, the Camp Exceptional is, you know, it's got kids that are typical kids who are in groups and teams alongside kids who have challenges. And so you might get, um, you know, a sight-impaired child who is next to um, a, a young person who has uh, Asperger's or is on the spectrum. You might find uh, a intellectual disability you might, you know, you just find a range of, of kids who are facing challenges. And aren't we all? Aren't we all facing challenges? So it's really neat to kind of see the kids come together and compete together. And then the Portland State football players, you layer that onto it, and they're out there just bringing all kinds of energy and expertise and firing the kids up. And, you know, they take care of business. And it's just a lot of fun to see that. So congrats to them. And it's, it's what we up. talk about, the best part of sports, right? You know, we talk about media rights, but this was just about activity, having fun, playing games. Like, it's just the pure joy of sports. And you see just, you know, the the youth come out and these kids, these college kids that are playing college football, you know, college basketball. They're getting scholarship. They're getting their school paid for. But the kid comes out in them. And then they get excited about it because they're teaching these other kids. So it's just a great time all around. Adam Silver sending a memo out involving Damian Lillard, it becomes the subject of today's Big Splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the NBA League office is uh, weighing in on the stalemate between the Blazers and Damian Lillard. Memos circulated on Friday to all 30 franchises saying that any player or agent who makes public comments about an unwillingness to fully perform the services called for under his player contract in the event of a trade could be subject to discipline. J.J. Redick broke it down. There was some news over the weekend. Apparently, Adam Silver uh, sent a memo to all 30 teams in the league outlining the situation involving Damian Lillard, um, a warning to Lillard and his agent. Um, and just, I, I think the gist of it is essentially reassuring other teams besides the Miami heat that yes, in fact, if you trade for Damian Lillard, we have been told that Damian Lillard plans to honor the obligations and perform the services of his contract. That's JJ Redick. Did Aaron Goodwin mess this up? I suspected for a while that in the end, Lillard could end up in a Blazers uniform to start the season. He certainly could if the Blazers don't make a deal because his trade value in the market was absolutely affected by the actions of his agent. And see, Damian Lillard's in a tricky spot. Why? Because he wants to be the good guy. 
He doesn't want to be the bad guy. He doesn't want to be the one that says, I want out. I won't play. So he sent his agent to do his bidding, and his agent apparently went around behind the scenes and made it clear that Miami was the only place he would go. Adrian Wojnarowski weighing in on why the market for Lillard is slow. It has simply been the idea, I think for a lot of teams, his age and the idea of paying him over $60 million mm. uh, at 35 and 36 years old the last two years of his deal. You know, so certainly Miami remains a team, I think, most motivated that has enough assets to eventually perhaps outbid the market. Uh, the problem is, listen, Portland looks at what Miami has doesn't love it and keeps hoping something better is going to come along. You get into the dog days of summer uh, as July turns to August. Lots of GMs, team presidents, owners who are involved in these conversations. They're going on vacation. Teams aren't engaged. There are no deadlines looming. And that certainly has slowed up this process. Miami's not going to bid against itself and keep upping its offer when it doesn't think Portland necessarily has anything comparable that's why this is dragging out and why it may continue to drag out the next real deadline is the start of training camp right. in late september that's certainly going to be a moment of truth for the portland organization do they want to bring lillard back uh into camp with all of this swirling around or do they at that point take the best offer they can get out there I think they are willing to go into camp, and I, in fact, expect that. Do you think they go to camp with Lillard in uniform? I think he starts the season as a blazer. That was a question for you, Stephen. Oh, well, yeah, we ran out of time. Sorry. <laughs> we'll talk about it uh, in the second hour of the show. Plus, we'll get a visit from somebody who was at Oregon Ducks Media Day. Just keep it right here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Well, Pac-12 Media Day happened in Las Vegas. But the University of Oregon held their own media day. That's right. The Ducks held a media day today. Dan Lanning among those who talked as part of the media day. I was going to go to Eugene for media day and then thought better of it when I saw the Pac-12 conference had a uh, a, uh, potential conundrum on its hands with Arizona just thought not good for me to be on I-5 driving if that stuff breaks Uh, but who we did have there we had our correspondent Steve Woodward Fox Sports Eugene jack of all trades owner operator IT guy what doesn't Steve Woodward do at Fox Sports Eugene former roadie was he a roadie for Guns N' Roses? Does anybody know? He was a roadie for some rock band. We got to talk about that as well. Steve Woodward joining us now. Steve, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, I want to ask you this. You played the Dan Lanning clip a little earlier. Yeah. You've known Dan a lot better than I do. Do you think he wishes he t- didn't say that? <laughs> no. I I no? think there. I don't think – look, I'm going to play the cut for people who missed, who might have missed it. But you were in the room. Okay, so Dan yep. Lanning's asked about Colorado leaving. Here's what he said. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. <laughs> that was pretty much the last question 
in his part of Media Day. And the media tried on multiple occasions to get him to weigh in on conference realignment and on, uh, you know, the Colorado situation and, and who else could be leaving. And, and he, he shut it down. He did a really good job of shutting it down. And then the last question came in, and it was that, and he just fired off. Can I play and it, it again? it set quite a tone. I want to hear it one more time. Hold on. Okay, so what was the mood prior to this? Was it just kind of normal? Like you said, people kept asking him questions. Yep. Normal football stuff, right? Yep, exactly. Oh, all right. Now he's asked about what is your reaction to Colorado leaving? Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. Do you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. Do you see that as potentially damaging to uh... – I, I, I just see that as – to me it was uncharacteristic. But, again, you know Dan much better than I do. Yeah. And the room was just kind of like, whoa. I think, and, I think and, that there are quite a few – there are probably quite a few coaches in the conference – who don't like Colorado's act in general right now. I, I'm going to say it. I think there's some anti-prime sentiment going around the conference. I think that's fair. I think you have a lot of coaches that are circling that game on their schedule. And I think you have coaches that are circling USC and UCLA on the schedule. You know, they don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. I think it's fascinating to watch this play out, and we'll see. They got. So, are you saying that potentially a misfire by Lanning because he's got to suit up? I mean, he doesn't have to suit up, but his team has to suit up and play Colorado, and you just don't provide bulletin board material to your uh, to your opponents. I, I think that's it. I, I think that it was a very uncharacteristic statement on his part because he's really good about giving respect to his opponents and not giving them anything to work with. And I think he just did. And it was a pretty big one, and there's going to be a lot of season to sit on before that game. Yeah. Uh, How did they sound at Media Day in your estimation? Other takeaways? For the team? Yeah, team or just in general. Like, give us – like, for listeners who don't get to go to the event, like, set the scene. What's it like? You have a, a section of Otson's club that's set up with tables where they bring in four student-athletes at a time for interviews. They have a, an opening period where you have Dan Lanning for 15 minutes. Then you had Bo Nix come in and answer questions for 15 minutes. And then you split up into groups and you brought in different sections of the team, different players that – have been either requested by other media outlets or that the athletic department felt would be of interest. You know, you had, you know, Camden Lewis, you had uh, Birch, you had uh, Bucky Irving, you had Ty Thompson, you know, different cross sections of the team that came out to answer questions. And for the most part, it's a lot of coach speak. You're, you're getting a lot of guys saying kind of what they've been rehearsed to say for the most part when you have standard questions. But a general mood was there's, there's a lot of feeling that the team is definitely better. Both chemistry-wise, they feel that now that they've had a full year in Dan Lanning's system and we're getting into year two, 
they're more together as a team, even with the new influx of players coming in and out. Uh, there's there's more chemistry. There's more uh, pride. I think that was one of the things that came across with me, that there seemed to be a lot more pride in uh, what they're doing and just chomping at the bit to really get on the pads and get going this season. We're talking to Steve Woodward, Fox Sports Eugene. He was at Oregon's Media Day, Football Media Day today. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Bucky Irving. We don't talk about him a lot. We talk about Bo Nix. We talk about the receivers. We wonder about the defense. He was an important part of that offense last year. He was a huge part of that offense, and I think he's going to be somebody who has to seriously be con- considered for Offensive Player of the Year in the conference this year, especially if the offensive line plays up to the potential that uh, people think it will. In fact, speaking of the offensive line, sorry to get away from Bucky Irving, but the offensive line, that was the one position group that most everyone said was the most improved. Even though they lost lots of pieces, the offensive line seemed to be the group that everyone thought was really coming out to play this year. Defensively, will Oregon be better this season than they were a year ago? Will they be more effective? Will they have an identity in your mind? Absolutely. I think there's no doubt about it. There's When you have guys that have played in a system longer, the more you play in that system, the better you are just naturally because you're more likely to react instead of think. And so you have a lot of guys that are have been in there that are starting to react more than they're starting to think. And they're becoming coaches on the field for new guys because they understand how the system works better, and they're able to tell the new guys, no, you need to stand over here. This is where you need to line up in this situation, and which is just going to make the team better as a whole. Steve, you go to this thing. The Ducks are going to start practice what questions do you have that cannot be answered at media day need to be answered in fall camp between now and the start of the season? How well will that offensive line gel together? Because I think how that offensive line goes dictates how this season goes. If they play together, if they've got great great communication and they play well, Oregon will do well. But if you have breakdowns in communication and guys just not used to each other and their their quirks, you're going to drop a couple games where you shouldn't. Now let's talk about you being a roadie. Oh, no. Yeah, we must. We must. Oh, no. Help, help me understand this. How do you get into the business of being a roadie? What is a roadie for people who are not familiar with the world of music? How much can we talk about on air? Um, let's just say this. Um, first of all, uh, I got into the business because a cousin of mine, his band was signed to a deal with Scotty Brothers Records. And I was actually a student at Oregon when they got signed, and he said, there's no one I trust with my equipment other than you. I need you to come help me. That's nice. That's a nice compliment. Yeah, so I left school, much to my parents' chagrin, and um, went down and helped him. And I was a roadie for rock bands in L.A. on the Sunset Strip for a couple years. 
and I got to go into a lot of the 21 and over clubs before I was 21, which made my 21 or kind of anticlimactic, but you know, um, it's a lot of hard work. You're, you're, you're breaking down and moving a lot of heavy equipment. You're the first one in the room and you're the last one to leave. What did your parents say when your cousin got you to drop out of school? Um, I won't repeat the words my father used because they're not radio friendly. Um, but, uh, let's just say he was not pleased. Um, my mother was okay with it. She was supportive, but my father was not happy. Well, but it, you know, you, this was just something that you were going to do for a few years, right? And then this wasn't like your forever thing, but give me an idea. Like, you know, when, when I said, can we talk about you being a roadie? I sensed some apprehension about talking about like, kind of like fight club. First rule of fight club. You don't talk about fight club. Why? Well, you know, the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens mm-hmm. backstage stays backstage. What kind of crazy things are we talking about? Come on. Things I can't repeat on the radio, trust me. At all? Oh, no. You can't, you can't even describe it like, you know, this is what happened. No. You know? No, no. no. <laughs> not, not without... Yeah, not without hurt feelings, and and uh, I don't know if the statute of limitations expired or not on some Gee things. Whiz. Yeah, no. Okay. I, I can't right. get into it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Give me an idea. I know Best... you really want me to spill the beans, no. but I can only do it off the record, and not on the air. Nah, I don't. It's not. I'm I'm interested in you talking publicly about it. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I go back to the spring game. The receivers looked fantastic in the spring game. You had a whole bunch of guys, including Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, uh, Tez Johnson. Just looked like Bo Nix is just going to sit back there and fling the ball around the stadium, and Oregon's receivers are going to run wild. Did did those guys talk at all about, you know, will they be happy sharing the football? Because, you know, there's one ball, and there's a whole bunch of those guys. The way – I'll try to paraphrase it as best I can. The way it, the different receivers discussed it was they felt that there would definitely be enough opportunities for all of them and that, you know, someone is going to be a 1,000-yard receiver this year. We don't know right. who, but – Troy, Troy Franklin. Staff, Troy Franklin is going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, is he not? I mean, isn't he the guy? It, well – what about Holden or what about, you know, Johnson? I mean, so many people raved about Tez Johnson at media day talking about how fast he is, how great of a route runner he is, how hard he is to contain. Mm. You know, do you think they mean um, it or do you think they say things at media day because they don't want guys to transfer? No, no, no. Uh, there was enough people talking about Tez specifically Okay. that, uh, you know, there's there's something there. When you've got multiple defensive backs going, yeah, no, I I had a heck of a time keeping up with him. Did any of the receivers talk about how much better the defense was, or was it the other way around all day long? There was a bit of both. Um, You had compliments on some of the defensive backs and, and the front seven. But mostly it was a lot of comments about the wide receivers and, and how tough that room is. Steve Woodward, Fox Sports, Eugene. How many games does Oregon win this football season in the regular season? The over-under is nine and a half. Where do you sit? 
I think 10 is a reasonable expectation. Won't people be upset with 10? Because people were upset with 10 last year. They won 10, everybody went, oh, terrible year. It's because of who they lost to. It wasn't necessarily that they won 10 games. It was the fact that you lost your two rival games, and that made it bittersweet. So you just think simply, if had they lost to uh, you know Colorado or Utah, is an acceptable loss, not an acceptable loss to lose to Oregon State and Washington. Correct. Interesting. Going to be a fun season. Yes, it hey, is. Tell us what's going on at Fox Sports, Eugene. I saw a tweet. Did you guys boost the signal? What happened? What's going on there? So we signed on in 2016 on 95.7 FM plus our 1050 AM. We've had some challenges with the 95.7 over the years because there is a Corvallis station that's also on 95.7 that we didn't know about when we first got that signal. And we've been in a position where we can now move frequencies. We're going to move from 95.7 to 102.9. And that's going to be a bigger, stronger signal with no classical stations or anybody else around to interfere with us. And that's going to be happening here in the next two to three weeks. Love it. Powerhouse, man. All right. Uh, is it true what they say, like, about M&Ms with roadies? You know, did you have to do all that stuff? No brown M&Ms, all, no all green M&Ms. Did you have to do that as a roadie? Do you, do, you know, do you know why that was done? Do you know the story behind that? No. Tell me. Oh, okay. So you would have an outlandish request. It's called a writer. So it's what the band and their management send to the concert promoter. These are things that we want or need to be able to put on our show. And it's an Ozzy Osbourne thing. He wanted a thousand brown M&Ms in a glass. And if you walked into the room and you saw a thousand brown M&Ms in the glass, you knew the rest of the details were taken care of. Mm. But if it was just a bunch of mixed M&Ms poured into a glass, you knew they didn't completely read the writer, and you wonder what else isn't going to be set up properly for your show that night. Interesting. So it was more or less a test. Are they paying attention? Did they get this detail? If they did, they got everything else. Exactly. That's fascinating. Football coaches should pay attention to that. <laughs> Steve, I appreciate you going to Media Day and taking care of business. Best interview? Best person? Most enjoyable interview? Oh, boy. Um, you know, a lot of fun with Camden Lewis today. Cam uh, talked a lot about his journey, you know, from a freshman to now. He said, you know, just don't ask him about that Holiday Bowl kick. He's the kicker. You say the best interview on the Oregon football team was the kicker? Today. Okay. The best interview today. Fascinating. Well, we'll see what happens. Open against Portland State week two. Texas Tech should be a big one. Thanks for having me, John. All right. Steve Woodward, Fox Sports Eugene. The roadie has left the building. St uh, Stephen, do you notice that uh, Steve is a little squirrely with his answers there? He didn't want to talk about being a roadie. Kind of wants to leave it where it is. There's a little mystery and intrigue that is going on with this guy. But it's like he said, though, John, 
well, you know, what like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's kind of yeah. one of those things. It's like a bachelor party. Do you really talk about it? I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like being a roadie, and I don't know. I've never been a roadie, but I feel like there's some things you're going to see that you just can't, you can't even talk about. Like it's, uh, you know, you don't talk about Fight Club. I bet you it's worse in my mind right now than actually what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really true. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always way worse if they don't tell you the details. Uh, I love it. We'll talk more. By the way, you didn't get to answer my question about Damian Lillard earlier. I didn't know. Can we kick it around for just a second here before yeah, we it. go to break? Okay, so the NBA is trying to stop players from saying, you know, I don't want to play here. Send Trade me to a specific team or I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to play. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. I won't participate. Is it going to be effective what they did? Because they're ba- basically setting it up to say, we can nail you for tampering if you try to play it that way. I think it is going to be effective. And, you know, a lot of people think that this has happened before where guys are saying, to, I'm only going to go to one place and that's it. But it hasn't happened like Aaron Goodwin and Dame have done it. That's the difference. Anthony Davis got suspended or got fined $50,000, which is nothing to him. But basically what he told teams was, yeah, I'll come in and I'll play for you for a year, and then I'm a free agent, then I'm going to go sign with the Lakers. So you can trade for me if you want to, but I'm gone in a year. Where Dame is saying, you know, Dame is saying I only want to go to Miami, but he has four years on his contract. He doesn't have the, you know, he doesn't have the leverage in that situation. So I do think that it's total it's a it's totally different than what other players have done in the past. And the fact that they were so direct about it, and Aaron Goodwood saying it's Miami or bust, basically, like that's what he said, and it's that it's just a bad sentiment that it sets that Dame's contract extension hasn't kicked in yet, and he already wants out of his small market like Portland. So I, I do think it is going to be somewhat effective, and I think it is good news if you're a Blazer fan and you want the Blazers to get as much as you can for Dame. I do think this opens up the possibility for maybe a team we haven't thought of. Could jump in and say, you Utah. know, Utah, definitely Utah. In my mind, I want that. But even a team like Orlando or Oklahoma City, if they really feel like they're a dame away from making a jump, they could jump in and say, well, Dame's dame lo- away. I love that. Yeah, he's locked in for four years. Like, what's he going to do? He can't. He can't. He would be a terrible look now to say, I'm traded to Orlando, but I'm not going to play for you now. Like, he can't go out and do that. So I think it opens it up. I do think he does start the season with the Blazers in training camp. I think he plays for the Blazers in uh, game one of the regular season. I think he's a Portland Trailblazer to start the year. I uh, I agree with you. I think he's going to be with the Blazers. And I also think the Blazers, you know, it's well within their right to lay up right now and say, we don't want to make a deal that's bad for us. All right, leave it here. Anna's popping into the studio next. We have so much more to talk about. We got Punch It Audio still ahead and the 5 at 5. Leave it here. Anna's in the studio. How you doing, Anna? I'm great. Are you great? Yeah. What makes you say that? Because even if you're not great, I think you sometimes say, oh, I'm great. You just say it to well, say Well, first it. of all, nobody wants to come on the radio. Nobody turns on the radio to hear somebody moan about their day, right? Right. But it's second true. of all, uh, we got to the river today. It was great. Oh, you did? Yes. What happened at the river? Uh, Down by the river? <laughs> Can I play some music before you go into the whole river bit? Yeah. Can I do a bit before that bit? soundtrack here? No, I just think it's cool that you went to the river. You're talking about the Willamette River? Yeah, the Willamette. You know? Uh-huh. I, you know, so I have, there's kind of an accusing voice. We had a uh, opera guy who was in studio once who did this. Oh, yeah. Old man river, that old man river, he must know some... 
But on Sennaren, he just keeps rolling. He keeps on rolling along. There you go. Funny, that was in my head the whole time I was down by the water. Every time, yeah. yeah every yeah. <laughs> every time I see the river, mm-hmm. I think about that. Yeah. Um. So moving on. <laughs> what was the river like? <laughs> by the way, that's Keith Miller. Yeah? Keith Miller. He came in studio. Uh-huh. By the way, he played football at Colorado. I was going to say, what do we need to know about Keith Miller? He was headed to, you know, to potentially be in the NFL. He was a football player. Uh-huh. He's like 265-pound football player in college. Okay. But he ended up, uh, while he was at the University of Colorado, where he was playing football, mm-hmm. um, he ended up, uh, took his girlfriend to see Phantom of the Opera. Okay. And was like, I could do that. Like, I do that in the shower. <laughs> and then after the night, after he listened to the Phantom of the Opera, he went out and rented the three tenors on DVD. Yes. Where Luciano Pavarotti is singing a bunch of songs. Mm-hmm. Said he fell in love with it and then decided, beside the fact that he was got a tryout with the Raiders and the Broncos, he uh, just said there was a music festival going on, and he was like, you know what? I need to go there. That's where my calling is. I love that. So he came through Portland, Yeah. and he was part of a show that was like at Keller Auditorium. Okay. And, you know, this is at a time when we were paying, like, super-duper attention to guests like that. We were getting, like, a lot. We had a run of quirky guests. Yeah. It's like summertime. Yeah. There's not a lot going on. Yeah. Hey, here's a football player. He's singing opera now. All right, <laughs> let's bring him in studio. Dude came in. Yeah. You hear the voice? Oh, it's fantastic. Old man. Like, no. Steven, that's a radio voice. That is a uh, booming voice. I will say, you tried it right there. He was much better. Old man river. Keeping it it real. Uh Uh-huh. All right. That's some more football. So what you're saying is there could be other undiscovered opera singers among all the football players who are out there. I'm just, I've always wondered, especially when I'm covering an Olympics. Yeah. Or anything. Any sporting event I've ever been at. Okay. I've wondered things like, (laughs) all right, this is why I think kids should do as many things as possible. Uh Uh-huh. I wonder if the greatest ping pong player in the world never played ping pong. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The person who could Possible. have been the greatest racehorse jockey yes. in history may have never found a horse. I know. Right. This guy goes to see Phantom of the Opera. Right. And now he's playing, you know, Carnegie Hall, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's at Radio City. Yeah. He's an opera singer. He's yeah. legit. Yeah. That's why you got to get your kids into everything, <laughs> every summer, every camp. You just never know. But like you know, you don't know, Anna. Like maybe, yeah. you know, you're a, you could have been a world class pole vaulter. Maybe I still could be. You know. You know, the dream's not dead yet. Maybe Stephen could have been a curler. Never found it. I could see that. Never found it. Yeah. All right, you were going to the river. Yeah, we, I well, I took your parents this. to the river, along with your sister. Your sister has Newfoundlands, and if people don't know what those are, those are these giant black dogs that are made for the water. And so she had her dog there, your dad had his dog, Boomer, there, and we had uh, our kids there. 
And we were just doing a little swimming in the river what with are the those, dogs. What do people do when they see those grizzly bears run, roaming around the Willamette River? Well, what's awesome is that the Newfoundland, and hers in particular, is trained to do water rescues. So anytime it sees somebody in the water, it kind of assumes they're drowning. So they're <laughs> very concerned about the children in particular. And uh, anytime the kids were in the water, your, your sister's dog wanted to go over, go over and rescue it. That could be alarming. So. Like, you're, you're just swimming. You're enjoying <laughs> your thing. And all of a sudden, out of the woods comes this thing that looks like a brown bear and is coming out towards the water and lumbering towards you. <laughs> you know, let me get my glasses on right now. Make sure that's not a bear who's coming towards me. That's, that's pretty, pretty cool. I'm glad you got to the river. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's great. Okay. In a more, uh, in a bigger issue that is going on right now. Yes. What's happening? The uh, University of Arizona has a board of regents have called a special meeting for tomorrow. The Pac-12 was supposed to present media numbers tomorrow. Okay. Um, you had kind of an interesting take on this because you've had a front row seat. Yeah. Watching me cover this stuff. I know. Cover the crud out of it. Yeah. For the last, you know, how long? Yeah. 15 months or so. Feels like it. I've been all more, over more. this thing. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm having a lot of fun. So much fun! I want to get back to writing about football and telling human interest stories. I need to write about something other than the Pac-12. Yes, and and talk about something other than the Pac-12 for a while. Yes. I need like a detox from media rights. I think but we all do. But what did what do you kind of make of this? I'm uh, I'm over it. I need it to be done. I I told you today. I'm off the bus. I have tried to be mm-hmm. patient. I have tried to give the Pac-12 the benefit of the doubt, and I've said, well, maybe they were just spending all this time constructing the most amazing media rights deal ever. Yep. Um, maybe they were waiting for the technology to improve, and so more of us got used to streaming sports instead of watching them on linear cable or satellite. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think... I just, I just, uh, I don't know what to believe anymore. And I feel like the the longer we wait, the higher our expectations go. And I just need it to be done. And uh, for the for the good of everyone, yeah. including my husband, who yeah. I think I, I, I'm like, I don't want you to stroke if, out over this. Am I like the guy in a beautiful mind? Like I've got diagrams on the wall. A little bit. A little bit. I got string yeah. over here. Yes. You know, people are going to be like, oh my goodness. Yes. But, you know. And it, what's frustrating is because, as your wife, obviously, I see all the phone calls and the text messages and the constant checking in that you're doing with your sources throughout the Pac-12. And what's become evident is that people change their minds. It's like, you know, Colorado. Something happened, right? I think in they the lost last... patience. I just think they yes. lost patience. Yes, something like happened. Like everybody else. They got tired of waiting. Like, I don't necessarily think anyone lied a couple of months ago when they said that they were still on board with the Pac-12, but I think they lost patience. And at this point, can we blame them? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. I think the next 24 to 48 are huge. And I think they'll, they're going to set the tone for what comes next. Is it a pivot to expansion? Is it San Diego State and SMU? Is the number good enough to retain Arizona? All of that, I think, up in the air as it as it pans out. I find it interesting that the parallel that is happening, too, with this, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is you've got this waiting game that the Pac-12 has played. You also have Damian Lillard in limbo still. He's yeah. not traded. He's still a blazer. Yeah. Here we are. About to be August. 
and he's a Blazer. Do you think Blazer fans, if he walks into the arena, puts on a Blazers uniform and starts the season, do you think Blazer fans are going to have mixed feelings, all on board with him? No, I I actually think Blazer fans um, will still receive him well. Because I think if he walks back in in a Blazers jersey, they'll just be grateful that he stayed. They're still grateful that he's been here this long. And again, I don't think anybody in their reasonable mind can fault him for kind of looking around and going, what else is out there? Oh, Miami looks like I could make an impact there. You know, seems like a good spot for me to go play. Like, I I think any reasonable person would look at that and go, yeah, okay, I I get it. I get it, but here he is back as a Blazer. I got a question for both of you. Do you think, uh, from a Blazer perspective, do you, if he is back, if Dave is back in training camp, if you're the Blazers, do you just sit him out so he doesn't get hurt or something bad doesn't happen? Mm, I, I wouldn't. I'd play him. And I... And look, keep in mind the Blazers are different. They're they're not the same as any other NBA organization. They don't operate the same way. Like maybe some other organizations would be like, hey, we don't want our asset to get hurt. But I kind of feel like the Blazers are going to take the mindset from a negotiating standpoint that, hey, he's our player. He's under contract. If it were just one more year that he were under contract for, maybe you sit him out. But given that, you know, he is under contract through 2026, 2027. I can't remember the number. Yeah, you know he's got three years left. Is that right, Stephen? Three, three full uh, seasons. Four, four years. Four left. full seasons. Okay, you've got him for four full seasons. If there's not a deal that's out there for him, guess what? He's part of your team. You need him on the court. You cannot afford to go into this season and not play him. That's not fair to fans. Would you sit him, Stephen? Because I'm not the right person to ask that question. Well, uh, I mean, I just want to know your opinion on it, but um, I would play him. I'd play him. Why not? I got no problems yeah. with it. Will he play? I think he would play, too. I think his personality says he would play, and I think Anna's right. I think Blazer fans would enjoy it. Like, they would, you know, they would really cherish it. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, if you knew the exact day when you were dead, you know, you would go out and do things. <laughs> Like Blazer fans would know at some point in the near future, Dave won't be a Blazer, so let's Last, enjoy it. Let's, can, yeah. can it be like Elton John's farewell tour? Yeah. <laughs> Except it never ended. Like Elton John, you know, it's a mattress store going out of business. Yeah. Blazers could bring it out and say, see Damian Lillard's final game. Yes, the audio is the audio <laughs> well, story we, going out of business. Yeah, we didn't mean tonight. Yeah, but but there, but, <laughs> but there would be what like there would be a little slice of hesitation on the part of the fans because it's like the boyfriend who wanted to break up with you kind of thought about breaking up with you maybe told a friend he was thinking about breaking up with you but then didn't break up with you Mm. so you're grateful that he's back but part of you the back of your mind you're always going yeah this guy wanted to break up with this a personal story that you're trying to share with people do you think there's a chance that the blazers could win dame back if dame comes back and he's like you know what maybe i don't want out of here Oh, the only thing that I think about is with Scoot Henderson. If he plays alongside him, and let's just say that there's magic. Like, I could see him going, you know what, this isn't so bad. And But but I also feel like, look, the Blazers did this with Clyde Drexler. It's the, I guess it's the closest approximation. He wanted out. He wanted to be traded. He asked to be traded to the 76ers. The Blazers did not trade him. He had to start the season as a trailblazer. And he didn't get traded till the All-Star break. He had a great first half. And he got traded to the Houston Rockets, went on to win an NBA championship. I mean, you know, I think if you're the Blazers, you kind of have to play this like, you know what, he's on our team. We may not trade him. 
if there's not an offer out there. You can't, because you don't have leverage. If you're sitting them in street clothes, you have an eroding asset and you're losing leverage. Mm-hmm. And I le- play the guy. At least if he plays, you know that, uh, you know, People are going to go to the the arena, right? Like we always talk about how bad ownership is, but at least they're going to be getting their money's worth, right? Like yeah. I feel like I mean, Anna, Anna would know that better. Like as a fan, like would you would you still be at the arena rooting for Dame if he was on the Blazers roster this next season? Yeah, I'd go and I'd root for him. Um, I guess because I'd wonder how many more games we actually yeah. had with him. See, <laughs> right? Damian Lillard's last game. <laughs> You can make T-shirts and stuff. With it Every too. game could be his last game. Damian Lillard's going out of business sale. <laughs> you know, you'd oh. sell tickets. People would be like, I want to be there for his last game. This could go on for 40 games. I'm ruefully laughing because I, it actually makes me sad. It makes me sad that the franchise didn't do a better job of building a team around him that he deserved to pay to pay him back. For no the loyalty way. No, that he no, has shown. no, no. He's the loyalty that you've shown. He got paid, Anna. I know he got paid. He's going to make more money in his contract. I know, but I'm just saying. I mean, it's not even about the money. It's a me. It, it's to me. You said pay him back. To me, it, it's like operationally a waste of money. It's a waste of money to have that star and not put the pieces in place well, yeah, around him true, to but... have even a playoff contention team. But I push back against the sentiment that he is owed something because I'm looking at his projected salary right now. He'll make $45.6 million next year. That's what he's owed. Uh, I know. He's not I, owed I something. I get it. But, yeah, I agree that it's a cry and shame, but it's not, it's not a cry and shame for him. It's a cry and shame for Blazer fans. Yes. Who bought tickets and were sold, hey, we have a plan. It, you know, we're building around him. Off season, everybody, you know, at the end of the year, it was always frustration. And you got, you know, the Blazers like, how can you get better? How, you know, got to get better. And the Blazers get into the playoffs and, you know, not play very well. But it's it, it was always management saying, though, this is – you know, this is not reality. This this team can be better. We've done everything we possibly can do. Where were where were all these people that wanted sweeping changes ten days ago? Where were they? They were the ones, you know, bouncing off the walls in the Moda Center when we had the third seed for the first time since 1999-2000. So it's our job, Joe, to be measured and not overreact. Because when you overreact is when you make mistakes. Nobody thinks this roster is a finished product. Everybody understands it is a work in progress, but it's a work in progress. But yeah, that's genius. <laughs> I'm going to use that. You know what? Everybody understands it's a work uh-huh. in progress, but it's a work in progress. Whenever, as a leader, you strike that tone of defensiveness in a press conference, which was every press conference with that guy, it is. It's not good news. That is not good for your brand. Every press conference. You know? I mean, doesn't that just make you uncomfortable hearing yeah. that? It yes. makes me so uncomfortable because yeah. it it is spoken 100% from a point of defensiveness. It doesn't change anything about the season. I, I think we've got to bifurcate those two things to a certain degree. Um, you know, we lost four games coming in to the playoffs, and that didn't change everyone's overall outlook on a macro level. Um, you know, the, I think the playoffs brought a couple of issues to bear in terms of, you know, teams that can go small. Um, you know, I think those some things we need to address, but you know, playoff playoff series are always going to illustrate 
um, your deficiencies, right? That's what coaches do. They get to play you four different times. They find your weaknesses, and, you know, we, we'll address those in the offseason. Uh, Which they never did. <sighs> That's what gets me mad, because I think Blazer fans were owed better. It and wasn't, that, and that guy know. had a job for what seven, eight seasons. Yeah, and he kept selling, just rubbing my temples. He I can't just even listen. To he it. kept selling the idea that you know the 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 answer was right around the corner. It was always right around the corner. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Some NFL news I want to touch on: uh, Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick, who missed last season with a torn ACL. He's now believed to have torn the Achilles tendon in his left leg. ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting that. He was carted off the field uh, with the injury today. He's being evaluated. Um, uh, tough break if that is what happened there. Also, uh, Cowboys. little news in the Cowboys. Right, The Cowboys always have drama. Cowboys need their own kind of news entity. Ronald Jones. Running back for the Dallas Cowboys has been suspended for the first two games of the regular season for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. This all brings me to something I want to talk about here in this segment. Ken Go, longtime sports writer, was on the show earlier. And he was talking about kind of the loss of tradition, daytime kickoffs in college football, rivalries in college football, the things he loves about it aren't important to television. Um, the news entities are giving us torn Achilles tendon, you know, running back out with PEDs, and I understand why. But, and in, in that is important in the news cycle. But I always kind of wonder, like, fans in general, when they go to games, like, Anna, how many NFL games in your life have you been to? Uh, maybe four or five? NFL games? If NFL games? Yeah, maybe. NFL? Yeah. Okay, maybe Football not that games. many. I don't know. How many can... NFL games have you seen? <laughs> I know the answer to this, and you are you don't even know. Okay. This is ridiculous. Okay. Welcome to my world, people. Well, I did a uh, Monday Night Football with you one time. One time. Cardinals. Cardinals, Niners. Niners. In Glendale. Yeah. Arizona. Yeah. Monday night. Okay. What other... National Football League games have you seen? Well, and then I just tagged along with you when you went to the Super Bowl a couple times. Okay. Were you, oh, you went you saw yeah. a Super Bowl? Yeah. Pretty fancy. I know. Okay. I know. Super fancy. Were you in the stadium twice or just once? I think you were just in there once. Okay. Two games. Okay. But you said four or five. <laughs> like like if, if you'd been to like 50 I, NFL games and you said, I think it's 54, <laughs> I'm, I accept that you don't know. But you, how do you... How are you off by like 125%? Well, because it's weird to me that at my age, um, I haven't been to a Seahawks game in my whole life. Yeah. Well, it's it was not, not, something... it's not really the NFL. Well, <laughs> it wasn't something that my family could afford when I was yeah. growing up. Like, I couldn't even afford to go to a Trailblazers game. So, um, yeah, I guess two. Two. So not four or five. Right, so, growing up, yeah, you, and then you went to Super Bowl. You know, kind of a correction there. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, though. You, you hit on something there. You said, I, and I, I've never heard you say it quite that way. What? You said you, that we can't afford, we couldn't afford to go to a Blazers game. Oh, yeah. As a kid. And no. the tickets were not that expensive. No, but even then, even back then, it was not something we could do. It wasn't on the 
no, on the agenda. It wasn't just wasn't like in the discre- discretionary income how to spend it category. Yeah. What do you make of all these parents that are sending their kids and taking their kids to Taylor Swift and paying $700, $800, $2,000 for tickets, flying their kids, you know, some people are flying, you know, to other cities. Yeah. My sister's guilty of this. My youngest sister, she came up to Seattle from the Bay Area, took her kid to Taylor Swift. And I was like, sell the tickets. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's an experience. Yeah. And I'm like, it is. But do you think it's a good message? Oh. I love you so much. I take you to Taylor Swift. But what about, what about all the kids who have parents who go, hey, I can't afford a $700 ticket? I know. I think it speaks. I'm not going to sit here and criticize people for want to make, you know, wanting to make memories with their kids. I think it speaks more to the strength of Taylor Swift, the fact that she has captured an audience between the ages of, I would say, 11 and 45. Uh, she's got a wide swath of predominantly women all around the world who love her and love her music and are willing to shell out hundreds of dollars like that for a ticket. So, I mean, credit to her on her world tour. I uh, I don't know that I would do that for a musical event. I could see paying a bunch of money to go to a Super Bowl, a Kentucky Derby, okay. a Final Four. Yeah. But isn't a Taylor Swift yeah. concert just like a Super Bowl to some people? Right. I, maybe exactly, to some. I, I saw a video. Uh, some kid took a video up in Seattle of the stadium, okay, and basically did a panorama of the sold-out stadium yeah. right before Taylor Swift's coming on. Yeah. And said, I can totally understand how Taylor Swift has this many fans. What I don't understand is why this many people would ever come to a football game. <laughs> and I laughed because I was like, that is a very funny perspective. Because yeah. that's a football stadium that you're in there, by the way. Right. But you know she's not playing like Moda Center. It's not big enough. Right. It's not a big enough venue. Yeah. And her tour, her tour you yes. were looking at the tour dates. Yeah. She's like all over the place and then going international. I know. It's incredible. I mean, she's doing and she's built doing multiple concerts like she's got a whole week of concerts in Inglewood. And then she heads off to Mexico and Japan and Australia and then Europe. You know, it's it's really they've, they have built a lot of hype. How have they done it? Is it just her music? Is it something else? Um, it's, it's very much her music. It's an emotional thing. I think people feel like they have grown up listening to her music, that it resonates with them. It's been with them in different parts of their lives, whether they're celebrating something or lamenting a breakup. She has reached that, you know, that segment of the population. And, uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing when you look yeah. at the numbers. Not a lot of guys at the Taylor Swift concert. No, not a lot. Not, not a lot. lot. You know single why? guys, single guys should go though. Single they guys, should. brilliant, would yes. be brilliant. No line at the restroom and, you know, a <laughs> lot of, a uh, lot of people to get numbers from or whatever you get. Trade bracelets. Go trade trade bracelets. bracelets. Um, but you know, I, I, I guess, you know, I've seen people pay $1,800 to go to a final four. You know, $2,000 to go to the Super Bowl. The face value on the Super Bowl ticket's not up. But this is, like, Taylor Swift just created something here. Leave it here. The 5 at 5 is coming up. Oh, it's the happy hour. Anna's here. She's got her hair in a bun. Is it a bun? Kind of. Kind of a bun up top there. Uh, It's interesting because the way we're positioned in the studio today, because I'm moving some things around, you're in a chair that is a very comfortable chair. Yeah. But you're sitting, you're seated almost behind me when I turn to face my computer. We're like in a, we're almost in like a toboggan situation. (laughs) 
Yes. Like, we could actually have this conversation with you behind me. Uh-huh. But right now I'm pivoted towards you so that I can talk with you. Yeah, we're like Maverick and Goose. But if I turn, yeah, we're in the we're in the cockpit of an F-16. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, how it feels. Uh, I'm up front and you're in the back. Uh, you've got five big things. Uh, are you going to deal with uh, the passing of of uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul, I, Paul Rubens? I had no way of connecting that to sports, so no. No. But rest in peace, Pee Wee Herman. Sit dead at the age of 70, Pee Wee Herman. He's one of those people that I... I is this a bad thing? I'm going to say it anyway. I kind of thought he was already dead. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever have people like that when they pass away and you go, oh, I thought he died a few years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is it is it insensitive? No. Is that it's an real. insensitive thing to do? It's real. It's very real. It's hard to keep yeah. track. There's a lot of famous people out there. Could we play a little game on that note with Stephen and Anna? Dead or alive? I name a celebrity. You tell me if they're alive or not. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay, we're going to do this right now. Right now. Before the yeah, 5 yeah, at yeah, 5. Yeah, before the 5 at 5. Just a couple of little things that... And I don't think is it is this in poor taste, Stephen? I need a voice of reason here if it's in poor taste. Um, no, I think it's just uh, I don't think it's poor taste. No. Is it weird? It's a little. It's weird. a little weird, okay. but I don't think yeah. it's poor taste. Okay, dead or alive, singer Tony Bennett. D- dead. He just died. Dead. Okay. Uh, dead or alive, Jerry Springer. Dead. Dead. Sure about that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he is. It's true. Um. Dead or alive? Um. <laughs> so far, we're doing great, Steven. <laughs> you, guys easy. Are, you guys are undefeated. T Boone Pickens, big booster at Oklahoma State. Dead gotta, or alive? Gotta be alive. Alive? Dead. Mm. Dead. Died in 2019. Oh. Um, a lot of the, you know, I, I, I forgive you if you have kind of a blank spot. During the pandemic. You know what I mean? Jeez. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that there was. Because like, so many people No, died. but people weren't paying attention. And now okay. it's the five at five. <laughs> I hate to laugh about this. Well, um, how about uh, Regis Philbin? Mm. That's a good one. Alive. I go dead. Right? I go dead. He's dead? He's dead. He died in 2020. It's a real uplifting game I've invented. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try this around the dinner table tonight, folks. Okay. See if uh, you can Jeez. bring up the mood in your household. <laughs> at that note, we do the five at five. The five at five. Hannah, go. I'm really thrown off my game now. Uh, How about I just, in between each of your things, I shout out a name and you guys go dead or alive? Yeah, that's going to okay. go well. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I, I want to know what you guys think about Dan Lanning coming out with some pretty harsh words for Colorado after their little uh, departure mm-hmm. back to the Big 12. I, I kind of like it. Okay. For people who didn't hear it, it was Oregon Ducks Football Media Day today in Eugene. And Lanning as his final question while he's on the podium is asked about his reaction about Colorado leaving to the Big 12. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. You remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. 
Boom. I like it. It's Look, it's honest. I'm so tired of coaches, athletes, pretending, giving us what they think we want, not what we actually want. So... I'm okay with it. I tell you what, John. I, uh, you know, I'm a, as big a Colorado fan as anybody. I cannot wait to bet Oregon minus how many ever points they want to put in that game. Dan Lanning wants to put it on them in that game. I mean, he's not going to hold back. There's, wait, are you a Colorado? What you said? I'm as big a Colorado yeah. fan he's, as anybody. He's bullish on the I'm Buffalo Prime, season. I'm a coach Prime guy. Okay. Okay. But he's saying Oregon's Oregon going to whoop. Wa- him. You can tell Oregon wants this game. I, you could tell it too when. You know, with Lanning's comments there, of course. But he's not alone. i got to be honest with you. I feel like that if you, if the coaching staff at Utah was honest, if the coaching staff at USC was honest, I think you get a very similar sentiment. But I don't think they're going to give Coach Prime the bulletin board material. Here's the problem, Anna. I don't know if he's got enough talent to make it, make it matter. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Coach Prime. Yeah. Like, and I think Dan Lanning knows I only have to play him one time. At home? Oh, it's at home. Bring it. Oh, it's at home. Oregon's got them at home. Woo! Opener for the Pac-12 season. Some drama and intrigue. Uh, Rusty Staub, outfielder of the New York Mets, dead or alive? Oh, boy. Alive. I'll go dead. That just sounds like a dead name. (laughs) Rusty (laughs) passed at at the age of 73 in 2018. The number two two item. I think he's just going dead guys every time, man. Speaking of dead guys, Daredevil Remy Lucidi, dead, I can confirm, at the age of 30. He fell off a Hong Kong skyscraper. What? This is a Daredevil who goes by Remy Enigma. You might know him for his outlandish posts from really high places. He's uh, gained fame over the years. No, he's dead now. Um. He took pictures of himself in daring situations on top of buildings in Poland, Bulgaria, a bridge railing in Portugal. One of his last posts before his death appeared to show him at the top of a skyscraper actually in Hong Kong. Well, he climbed the tower in Hong Kong recently and then got stuck outside Mm. somehow. And he was last seen tapping on a window pleading for help. This was a residential building. A maid who had seen him outside called the cops, but he fell to his death uh, by the time authorities arrived. So he was on his way to doing some other kind of stunt. Uh, they found his camera at the scene. This is, uh, he's a Frenchman. And uh, why that, is it always the Frenchman who always does this? But I don't understand why that's a thing. Well, remember the guy that, you know, he, he'd like, he did the... The, the the daredevil stunt between the twin towers when mm-hmm. the twin towers were still standing that was a frenchman too yeah i don't know you i know, don't know this is what people do sometimes that's uh that's 68 floors up 68 yeah ouch yeah well okay. my game doesn't seem as interesting anymore judge judy alive alive definitely alive next number three go uh espn Reportedly, will name Doris Burke and Doc Rivers to cover the NBA Finals. Hmm. Mark Jackson, let go. Um, I want to know what you guys think about that. So Jackson was paired with Jeff Van Gundy, who was laid off by ESPN last month, and Mike Breen. They were part of the Finals coverage since 2015. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Burke would become the first woman TV analyst on the NBA Finals coverage. But it feels like a lot of people are critical of this decision. Um, I just think people don't like change, and people get attached to broadcasters, and I get it. ESPN clearly in a transition. You know, they've laid off so many people, and some of those people had to be on-air people. So, you know, I was not a huge fan, and I like Doris Burke, so I'll go with it. Yeah. But uh, I get it. Like, people, you know, people like what they like, and that's okay. You know? The Iron Sheik. Dead. Died. He died. He died this year. I remember that. 81. Yeah. Good for him. He was, good, he, was a, of... he was a good Twitter follower. Oh, he was? <laughs> when he was alive, yeah. I feel like there's been a spate of pro wrestling deaths in the last year or so. Not been a great year for pro wrestlers. Number four story. <sighs> uh, Charles Barkley. Alive? Yeah. Doubles down on... <laughs> This, Definitely alive. Did you know that he's got a beef with Michael Jordan? Is this a long-held like thing oh, that people know I, about? Is he just trying to get some attention? No, I don't. Well, okay, don't don't go there. Okay. I just want to know if you know that I, he has I, a beef I, with I, Michael Jordan. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. I wouldn't know. Okay, well, they. I guess he was on 60 Minutes recently, and they were talking about how he was talking about how they were best friends. Until Charles Barkley criticized Jordan's management of the Hornets. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah, I know And that. the friendship Couldn't take a joke. ended. He said, he'd said, I don't think he's going to have enough people around him that are going to tell him no. I agree with that. And but because of that, Barkley said that he and Jordan no longer speak. Oh, give me a break. And he's refusing to be the guy that That's calls up personal. and makes good about it. Yeah. And he says, he's got my number. Oh, it's not personal. Do you think, though, it's hard? it would be hard to be the guy who tells Michael Jordan no? Like, I feel like that would be a hard job. I think that that falls on Michael Jordan to be able to surround himself with people who aren't just going to be a bunch of sycophants who are involved in groupthink and trying to tell him what he wants. You need people in your circle who are going to challenge you, who are going to say, that's a terrible idea. That's awful. Dead or alive. Not great. No, I'm just kidding. Sophia Loren. Sophia Loren? Dead. She died. Sophia Loren is alive, guys. No, she's not. She's, she's not. She is. She's 88. <gasps> oh, I feel so bad now. You guys are awful. You We're should be terrible. happy, though. She's alive. I'll give you a second one, second one you can make a run at. Mel Brooks. Alive. Dead. Anna, you're horrible. He's 96. He's alive. <laughs> <laughs> And okay. I'm not horrible. Strike this two. Game is horrible. Strike two. Julie Andrews. Dead. Dead. <laughs> Alive. <laughs> Alive in '87. Good for her. Guys, I, I forfeit. I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> I feel like though, if you're bad at a game, this is the game to be bad at. <laughs> is it though? Is it? Oh, boy. Maybe. Julie Andrews, Sophia Loren, and Mel Brooks <laughs> walk into a bar. Anna falls off her stool and goes. What? All three are alive? <laughs> you know, we've only done four headlines. Go, number five. Go. Okay. Oh. <sighs> I have to gather myself. Shaquille Barrett is honoring his two-year-old daughter in a special way. She drowned earlier this year, remember, in, like, the family pool. And he is starting a foundation in her name no. to educate parents on water safety. So he's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. 
and he had made that announcement today during a training camp press conference. He says his organization will help families avoid accidents like the one involving his daughter, Araya, who drowned in a pool on April 30th. Uh, sad. Sad story. And uh, when that happened, I, I, I mean, we all hate seeing stories like that, but I, uh, I appreciate he's trying to do something with it, with his grief. You know, it's, it's unimaginable for parents, unimaginable, unimaginable for us all. I bring that up because I mentioned I was down by the river today and... It's kind of my annual reminder to people, like, hey, our waterways aren't pools, okay? If you got a kid that's down by the river in the water in any fashion, just throw a life jacket on them. That river has a current still. I know the water is warmer now, but uh, it doesn't take very long for something to go wrong with a river or a lake like that. So just just take some extra caution. And you know this because being in television news... Oh, I covered you, so many drugs. You covered this yeah. every year. Yeah. Multiple people. And they actually uh, usually weren't pool drownings. They were drownings in bodies of water, and we have many around us, which we enjoy and we recreate in, but just do it safely. I know. I know. It gives me pause, you know? Yeah. Thank you for doing that 5 at 5. Very uplifting. Yeah. Shout out to Robert Redford, who's still alive, by the way, in case you're playing this game at home. <laughs> um, Julie Andrews, still alive. How about Jerry Lee Lewis, still alive. Sophia Loren, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's 92. He's still directing movies, kind of. Clint Eastwood. Jerry Lee Lewis is alive? Jerry Lee Lewis. He's alive? 87 years old. I don't know if I believe that one. Well, I'll double check it. But <laughs> as of press time, I believe uh, he was, oh, wait, he passed. He passed in October of 22. Mm. Sorry. Apologies to Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, you know, he was known as he was known as the killer. He's, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> what? Really? Just, that was his nickname. Really? Yes. Oh, I, I didn't, you didn't know, know that. that. No. It's a true story. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's go back through your five at five. I, the one that jumped out at me is Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley. Really? Yeah, because I think, okay, I think it's one of the biggest sins of the Trailblazers organization. If we think about this, okay, there is a... When you have a billionaire owner, like Paul Allen was when he owned the Blazers, there becomes, I think, a real challenge internally for people to be truth-tellers mm -hmm. inside the organization. Yeah. Because there's one person who owns the team who's got all that power, all that authority, and, you know, there's a lot of people looking at that person going, you know, all I need to do is please that person who owns the team, and I get to keep my job. So you have a general manager, a coach, you have a whole bunch of executives and scouts who get into a meeting, and Paul Allen, who thinks he knows the NBA, you know, he knows it a little bit, but he walks, he probably knows the NBA better than most billionaires, mm -hmm. but he does not know it as well as scouts, yeah. general managers. If he comes into that meeting, I can't imagine how hard it is for Kevin Pritchard, for Bob Witsit, for Rich Cho, for Chad Buchanan, uh, even for Neil Olshay to a certain extent, to have to... Sell the vision you have for the team to an owner who thinks he knows what he's doing. And, and Paul Allen, when the Seahawks made that first Super Bowl where they played the Pittsburgh Steelers, gave an interview to the New York, New York Times, which, which was fascinating to me. I was covering that game, and I remember like seeing – it was in Detroit, I believe, and seeing um, the interview in the New York Times with Paul Allen. I, it's like a Q&A. I read it, and Paul Allen's quoted as saying, 
He just leaves the football operations people alone and lets them work. Mm -hmm. And he says, conversely, in basketball, I feel like I know a little bit. I'm probably more involved there. And it horrified me. And it got me thinking about, like, okay, like, I get it. He liked Patty Mills. He wanted him on the roster. Mm -hmm. He made he would often make little moves like that that, you know, had his fingerprints on him. Yeah, he had his favorites. But also within the organization, I think it got infected a little bit, and I think it kind of extended to the Neil Olshay era in a weird way where there were a lot of people running around not speaking their mind. Mm -hmm. And they weren't speaking their mind because they were afraid the owner was going to hear them, so they just kind of keep their heads down and do what the organization is doing. Like, well, yes, we're just going to do what everybody else says. We're not going to question anything. We're not going to offer ideas. But it, uh, with Olshay, he became that figure when Paul Allen passed, and he ran the thing like he was a dictator. And I think there was a lot of employees because what happens? What happens inside any organization when you have somebody at the top who has got ultimate authority? Like, I don't think in North Korea there are a bunch of generals running around offering input. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I have an idea. We're not quite doing this the right way. No, you're dead. Like, in the Blazers organization, I don't think scouts, I don't think, um, you know, executives that were working on the business side, probably felt comfortable going guys we're not doing this the right way here there's a better way to do this here's what i would propose i there was a lot of group think going on and i think people were afraid to get fired lose their jobs and probably did lose their jobs if they stuck their head up i think many organizations suffer from that and you can change that because it does start at the top it's a whole culture that starts at the top when you applaud and you encourage and you foster people to think independently and raise their hand if they see that something is wrong or could be done better and you reward people for it that's i mean that's primarily what great leaders do is they don't turn away dissenters they welcome the dissenters they welcome people who think critically and and bring them to the table to voice their opinions instead of quieting them and silencing them. And I think good leaders, as you say, and good – if Michael Jordan wants to consider himself a, an owner as an executive, you know, he didn't have great ideas. His teams didn't win, okay? So he should have had people in his inner circle that went, hey, you're not great at this. Like, let's – you know, you, I think it's really difficult sometimes for – Great athletes especially to be great coaches. Mm -hmm. Who make the best managers in baseball? You look around baseball, it's it's catchers. It's guys who struggled. Maybe guys that didn't hit at a highest the highest level. Like otherwise, you know, you'd have Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens managing teams, saying, you know, I I know something everybody else doesn't know. Mm -hmm. No, the problem with guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens is that, you know, a lot of it came naturally to them. Of course they had to work at it, but a lot of they had great natural ability. Barry Bonds probably can't get into a batting cage and coach somebody up the way that some of the best hitting coaches can because he's never struggled. He hasn't struggled quite in the same way that somebody who's hitting two sixty seven has struggled. And, you know, I, I I can remember like watching interviews with Ted Williams as he was talking about hitting. And so much of it was, you know, he was talking about seeing the laces. He was talking about being able to smell the baseball coming off the bat. He was the game was slower for him. Mm -hmm. There was something going on between his ears, his brain, his eyes, whatever you think it was, that he can't teach that to other people. You can't impart that to other people. You know, Tony Gwynn became a really good hitting coach because he could impart the way that he approached in a bat 
You know, he would talk about getting the best pitch, knowing what his batting average was in each count, knowing what he was looking for when he went. Like that approach you can teach to somebody, but you can't you can't teach them fast twitch, hand-eye coordination unless they've got some semblance of it itself. So I think sometimes you see people like Michael Jordan who, it, you know, he worked his butt off. It's mm-hmm. clear. Like yeah. he outworked people as an athlete. But a lot of that was Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan. Yeah. And just because he owned a team or made some executive decisions, it didn't mean that, you know, he knew anything about assembling a roster. That's, you know, look at the look at the guys who assembled the Chicago Bulls rosters. Look at the Jerry's. Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause. You look at those guys. They're not great athletes. You know, they look like fans who should be holding beers in the in the, in the arena. But they had an eye for what worked and what fit. And I don't think Jordan had that. And, you know, I think Charles Barkley's just saying that. He needed somebody. And Jordan needed somebody to tell him the truth. He didn't have that. Is that such a sin? Well, I think the greatest sin here is somebody needs to pick up the phone between the two of them and just settle it because they're not getting any younger. There According you go. to our game, dead or alive, you know. They're both alive. Leave it at that. All right. Thank you, Anna, for stopping by. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. Dan Lanning causing a stir today as he reacted to Colorado leaving the Pac-12 conference for the Big 12. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. I don't remember not only them not winning anything. I don't remember them registering. At all. They got it to, the, me- they got to yeah. the Pac-12 title game that one year and then scored, what, zero points or three points against Washington? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't re- – I, don't, I it, don't – That doesn't register with you? No, I don't remember them doing much, and I don't remember really anybody that played for them. You know, Steven Montez played some quarterback for them. Yeah, that's the, that's the one guy, like, I can remember. Yeah. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, I remember him. He was good. But, you know, maybe – do you think Coach Prime – will have more success in the Big 12 sooner than he will have in the pack he would have had in the Pac 12. Um yes, I actually think that's a good that's a good point. I do think so because I look at the Big 12 and you know Texas and Oklahoma are be leaving next season so they won't be a part of the conference. I don't think there's the top tier talent in the Big 12 where you look at the Pac 12, Oregon and Washington, they're always going to be really good. Oregon State is definitely trajectorying up. Uh, I think the high-end talent in the Pac-12 is way better than the Big 12. Where the Big 12, you know, they are very balanced, but I think, you know, if Dion can get the right talent in there, they can compete and be, you know, middle-of-the-pack uh, type team in the Big 12 maybe, you know, maybe that first year. Maybe sooner. It just depends. Like, if we're talk- what Pac-12 are we talking about, I guess. We'll see. Uh, tomorrow, the Pac-12 uh, CEO group will meet, and they will discuss – the future of the Pac-12 conference, they will uh, uh, they are expected to give numbers. So we'll see where the numbers land. I've seen a lot of speculation about where the numbers are. At this point, it really is just speculation. We'll see where they land. Without Colorado, what are they worth? I've had people all over the place. I've had people say, oh, it's going to be $20 million. I've had people say, no, it's going to be a surprise. They're going to come in high. Um, I don't know. I don't have numbers, and I don't actually have the companies that they're negotiating with is it apple is it espn that's my hunch but um they have been very tight-lipped about who it is that they are negotiating with be really interested to see where that lands do you think um what do you think of the tweet that nicole auerbach had uh saying the arizona board of regents is going to have a special meeting 
scheduled for tomorrow. They scheduled that today. It'll be at 3.30 to 4 o'clock. They scheduled that uh, today. Does that have anything yeah. to do with the uh, Pac-12 be. media day? I asked um, somebody in the Pac-12. Could be, but I asked somebody who said that um, the agenda item does not seem to be sports-related. Um, and that's coming from within the Arizona community. But I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to talk about. I only, I can only tell people, and I keep coming back to this too, like people were, some people were like, hey, you know, you said Colorado wouldn't leave the conference. No, you know, I and I believed Colorado when Colorado was telling me they're not going to leave the conference. I also think Colorado lost patience. And I think that the Pac-12 probably thought they were going to have a deal done by this point. They expected late spring, early summer, and they kept punting and punting and punting and now they find themselves kind of backed into a corner, and it's not an ideal situation for them to see Colorado threatening to leave the uh, conference and then leaving the conference, and then to see Arizona going, "Hey, we need to, we're going to wait and see some numbers," while they're getting you know an offer from the Big Twelve what, conference. What do you Let's think, see where they come in. What do you think of this theory that uh, our own Judy Newby had? He, we, you know, we were talking about Colorado, and we we both thought that Dion had a lot to do with the move to the Big Twelve, whether it's to be in Texas or closer to whatever it is. I think he wanted to be in the Big Twelve, and you know, Rick Georgia came out and basically said to you and to everybody, like, you know what, like we're not leaving, like we're we're going to take it out, we're going to stay here. And then all of a sudden it flips. Could it be a fact where Dion came in and was like, hey, look, if there's no media rights deal by Pac-12 Media Day, we got to bounce. And he put a lot of pressure on Rick George. And like you said, there's been so many coaching turnover uh, in Colorado that he just gave in to Coach Prime. And basically, since there was no deal by Pac-12 Media Day, Coach Prime's like, we got to get out of here. And this is what he did. That's why he didn't go to Pac-12 Media Day as well. Yeah, I I crossed my mind. And Shador Sanders in the the, you know, the interview that we had crossed my mind as well. It wasn't a great interview. He didn't seem like he wanted to be there. Coach Prime, if you give him the benefit of the doubt, he had a surgery you know, and he needed to focus on that. If you don't, you go, oh, he didn't want to be there. Could have had that surgery another day. Um, I, I just don't think Colorado was that into it. Rick George at Media Day got asked, you know, chased around the building by reporters as he was scurrying off the stage. And, you know, it was just a kind of a kind of a sad scene because that's not what you want. It's not the distraction you want at Media Day. And I feel like the real disservice was to the players and the coaches who should have been there just to talk about football. But I'm left kind of looking at all this stuff and going, Colorado, there may have been part of Colorado that never really felt like it connected with the Pac-12 after leaving the Big 12. The Big 12 conference is not better than when Colorado left it the first time. doesn't have Texas, doesn't have Oklahoma. Um, but I also think there might be some truth to the fact that Coach Prime, he's got a lot of sway right now in that room. He's sold out the football stadium. He has increased their revenue, increased their brand, increased their social media following. And keep in mind, Rick George, the AD at Colorado, he's hired and fired three football coaches. He has to be right about this one. He cannot get this hire wrong. He gets this hire wrong, he's probably fired. So if his coaches turn to him and says, hey, I need more money for coordinators, Rick George is like, I'll get you more money for coordinators. If Coach Prime turns to him and says, we need to be in the Big 12 Conference because I want to play in Texas and Florida, Rick George is like, listening to that. And I think I think there's probably some truth to that. I may have underestimated that. Because in my mind, I'm going, how long is he going to be here? You know, two, three years? Four years? How long is he going to stay at Colorado? Do you think the move to the Big 12 
could change your answer to that because we both said you know two and a half years over under. Like, do you think that changes at all now that they are going back to the Big Twelve? I don't know if he's going to have. I I think he was going to. I know. I I think they're going to struggle next season in the Pac-12 just because they don't have the depth and physicality of Utah, Oregon State, Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA. Um, I think Arizona's better than them. I think there's a chance Cal's better than them. I think they're going to be down there playing with Arizona State and Stanford trying to find wins. And so I think, yeah, you know, Colorado's last season in the Pac-12 I think is going to be um, is going to be a tough one. But I don't want to be one of those people either. Like, I think it's cool that Dan Lanning is speaking his mind. But I also think, like, you got to recognize it's a loss to the Pac-12 that Colorado's leaving. I don't want to be one of these people that's trying to frame it as, oh, you didn't want him anyway. But it's true. They never had any success. But you, they brought the Denver TV market into the Pac-12 fold, and those television households were worth something to the Pac-12 conference. And I think in the end, you gotta you got to acknowledge that, that there was some loss there as you look at it. Because I know people always like, if Arizona, let's say Arizona decides tomorrow, the number's not good enough, we want out, we're going, going, gone. I think that, you know, people are going to say, well, Arizona was no good as a football school. You know, that's a basketball school. Let them, let them go away. I, it's a loss as well. Like, there is just a loss when anytime any school that is worth a damn, and these schools are, they're Power 5 conference schools, all of them, top to bottom, anytime one of them goes, we don't want to be here anymore, there's a, uh, I think there's a blow to your brand, and there's a blow to your bottom line, certainly. So it'll be really interesting to see, like, can the Pac-12 conference pull something out of left field? Because, you know, either George Klyovkov is going to get the last laugh or he is going to end up as the guy that was in charge when the Pac-12 conference had some of its darkest days. So I think, um, you know, people keep asking me what's going to happen. The answer is it depends on the deal. You know, I have heard from people in the conference that they are going to beat the Big 12 number. Um, and I bounce that off other people, and they go, it sounds like a pipe dream. I, it, I've i heard from other people that the deal sucks, and they think that Klyovkov hasn't been forthcoming. So I want to see. I want to see where this number ends up. I'm really curious where it is. And, and frankly, where it ends up in the wake of Colorado leaving, because it's changed the calculus a little bit. All right, Punch and Audio is coming up. You're going to hear from Bo Nix, DeMar Hamlin, Brady Quinn, Justin Herbert, getting a cameo from him, Aaron Rodgers, and a whole bunch more. That's all coming up on the other side of this break. you got the BFT statewide. Well, it'll be a busy day tomorrow on the show. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. I'm going to try to balance it and not just make it all. Oh, let's talk Pac-12 all the time. And on that note, let's play some Punch It Audio. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, it'll be a big football season for Oregon quarterback Bo Nix. He decided to come back. He's got a new offensive coordinator in Will Stein. That means he's got to build a new relationship. Will Stein is the man in. Bo Nix is the guy under center, so to speak. Here's Bo Nix talking about that process 
Punch it. Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, we, from the, you know, from the get go, from the time we got here, we have a great relationship. We've really done a good job kind of from the, um, you know, from the, uh, you know, bottom and just, you know, started at the relationship part and just try to get to know each other as, as humans. And then, you know, maybe I'll pick his brain from an offensive play caller's point of view. And, uh, you know, you can't expect him to be the same as Coach Dillingham. They're two different people. Um, but, you know, I'm excited to be around him. Uh, he provides a lot of good things. Um, he does a lot of uh, things that I'm comfortable with, and then he's going to provide some new things that he's going to teach me and we're going to be able to run and incorporate. Um, so I'm excited about it. I think we got a lot of good talent coming back, um, anticipating, um, you know, great things for us on offense. I've been hearing a lot of good things about Will Stein, but I think if I'm evaluating this relationship correctly, I think Will Stein is the bigger beneficiary. Bo Nix, having a talent like that under quarterback, that kind of experience at that position, while you're trying to make the leap to major college football, power five conference football, so to speak, huge advantage for Will Stein. I don't know if we're going to see it in the opener, though, Portland State in week one. But I think week two, the game in Lubbock, Texas against Texas Tech, really going to be interesting. I think that game for Oregon is the key to the first half of their season. You know, that first five-game stretch before the bye week in week six, it's Portland State, it's Texas Tech, it's Hawaii at home, it's Colorado at home, it's a game at Stanford. It really is the Texas Tech game. You win that one, and I think Dan Lanning and the Ducks are 5-0, and heading into bye week, and then heading to Seattle where they play Washington. Bo Nix says fall camp starting, gets his juices going. Punch it. You know, fall camp's really a time uh, to where you know you you know it's right around the corner. So you know you got to get ready. Um, you got to prepare quickly. Um, but you know you got a little bit of time here to kind of um, you know iron out all the things that you need to get going. And um, to where once you get to the season, you can do what you're comfortable with, do what you're good at, and um, you know let everybody just do their job and do what they're good at. Do their job. Do what they're good at. He's got receivers. Bucky Irving's in the backfield. People talking about the offensive line, of course. But I think the biggest factor for Oregon season is going to come down to the defensive side of the ball. Can they play at the same level that the offense is playing at? It's plain and simple. Speaking of uh, Pac-12 football, Brady Quinn talking about USC and Caleb Williams. Similar question at USC, according to Brady Quinn. Punch it. I think Caleb Williams gives you always a legitimate shot winning a national championship because he's the best quarterback in college football. Um, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He'll be the number one draft pick in next year's draft. To me, he's one of the most unique talents I've ever seen at the position. Uh, and so even despite their defense, which people tend to forget, you know, that defense actually helped bail them out in some games early last year. Mm-hmm. They had a ridiculous turnover differential. And then they didn't have any much depth. And I think as they got worn down as the season wore on, that's where you saw uh, some of the issues defensively that they were having. But they added seven transfers on defense alone. They've really tried to shore up the front seven, not only to stop the run, but I think to add some pressure too. So they feel much better about it. You know, do they have the depth they'd like to have? They're probably another year away from that. Uh, but I think defensively, they, they will be improved. I think the only thing you have to ask yourself is, you know, are they going to be able to generate as many turnovers as they did last mm-hmm. year? Yeah. That was kind of an anomaly. I don't know how the defense could be worse at USC because I think it was a real liability. You know, I I got the sense in talking to Lincoln Riley at Media Day that 
he felt like two big things would be improved. One would be the defensive side of the ball. Secondarily would be just his guys understanding kind of the stakes of what it meant to play at USC. Keep an eye on that as it unfolds. And to Brady Quinn's point, USC led the nation last season in turnover differential plus 22. The next best team was Duke at plus 16. So they did get a lot of, you know, luck so you know you could say last season regression to the mean a little bit maybe coming next year Aaron Rodgers talking about Sean Payton Sean Payton made some comments about Nathaniel Hackett and uh, Aaron Rodgers wants to defend him punch it you know he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL just his approach to it how he makes it fun uh, how he cares about the guys uh, just how he goes about his business with respect with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. I thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. There it is, Aaron Rodgers. How do you feel about that, Stephen? Is is uh, you like Aaron better after that, or? Eh? I would say uh, Aaron's a different guy in New York than he was in Green Bay. He seems a lot more happier. Uh, he seems to be more of a really good teammate. I like it. I like that he's out there defending his guy. You know, Hackett is that's his guy. He it was rumored he was going to go to Denver because Hackett got the head coaching job there. He likes him, so I I didn't mind the comment by Sean Payton. You know, I know understand that. You can't do that as a head coach. You know, he said he had his Fox hat on, not his coach hat on, and it makes sense. But I like a little rivalry. So, uh, you know, I want to see those two play, and uh, I like Rodgers. I think Rodgers, he's in line for a big year this year. I think uh, he's 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 one of the biggest storylines in all of sports right now because of the fact that he's going to the New York market, he's playing for the Jets, he's trying to resurrect a franchise. He just hasn't had consistent success. Aaron Rodgers has been a winner, the, you know, but it's not quite the same as, like, Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers. Because the Buccaneers had had a Super Bowl, they, you know, they had some success. They had all the pieces, and then Brady was kind of just the addition, that you know, his turnkey when he walked in. A little different feel in New York. I'll be curious to see how it plays out for Aaron Rodgers. Demar Hamlin, you remember him from Monday night or was it Thursday night football? He is Monday. on. Oh, he's on the field. He practiced in pads for the first time since being injured in that fateful game with the Bengals in the middle of the season caught America's attention great comeback story Damar Hamlin and pads punch it uh man it feels amazing it's a roller coaster of emotions I was kind of all over the place you know just kind of being back for the first time but um God don't make no mistakes you know what I'm saying I'm on God's timing as much as the NFL is you know on schedule and camp starts this day this is all God's timing you know what I mean so You'll hear me say that a lot up here. I'm trusting in him, and, and that's that's my strength in, in all of this right now. Love the message. The guy on the field, inspirational story, of course. He's a terrific story. I hope he keeps it going. Um, you know, I don't think he needed to play to be a success story. and But he does, and he's out there. So, uh, you know, I, I think there are going to be NFL fans. There are going to be Buffalo Bill fans. But... I think most people are DeMar Hamlin fans. Most NFL fans, anyway. People? Even if you're not an NFL fan, how can you root against that? J.J. Reddick talking about the memo from Adam Silver on Friday. 
Adam Silver sends a memo out warning teams, Damian Lillard's agent, not to tamper. Here's J.J. Redick with what he thinks it means. Punch it. There was some news over the weekend. Apparently, Adam Silver uh, sent a memo to all 30 teams in the league outlining the situation involving Damian Lillard, um, a warning to Lillard and his agent. Um, and just, I, I think the gist of it is essentially reassuring other teams besides the Miami Heat that yes, in fact, if you trade for Damian Lillard, we have been told that Damian Lillard plans to honor the obligations and perform the services of his contract. Look, if you're a Blazer fan, I think you have to love the fact that the NBA is trying to do something to rectify an ongoing problem in the league where you've got tampering, and frankly, it probably hurts small market teams more than it hurts large market teams. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if there's anything you'd really do to keep agents from meddling and keep players from saying, I don't want to play in small markets, or I want out of this team or that team. Like, ultimately, there might not be much you can do but I appreciate that Adam Silver's trying to get something done here. Do you think it makes that, you know, the memo makes it more likely, less likely, or the same that Dame is in Miami to start next season? I think it makes it less likely that he's in Miami. I think it's going to open the door for some other teams to come into this thing. And I think it's going to help the Blazers more than anybody because if Miami really wants him, there's been a memo issued that says, hey, Heat, you're not going to be allowed to be the only bidder here. And, you know, I think it's poor form for the agent and the player to come out and say, yes, I'll sign the contract extension. No, I won't go anywhere that you trade me even though I'm under contract. What the hell does a contract mean then? Like, you know, honor your contract. You know, you've been loyal. And I get it. Like, I think Lillard's in a really weird position here. Miami doesn't have the assets that the Blazers want. They've got first-round draft picks that'll be in the 20s. They don't want those. The Blazers want to get better if they're going to give up who they believe is their maybe the best player who's ever played for them. So, you know, Miami doesn't have the assets. The rest of the league is going, hey, Aaron Goodwin is telling us that, you know, Dame won't play for us. And the Blazers are going, hey, we want the best possible deal. And Lillard, meanwhile, is sitting back going, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. I'm not going to be the guy who comes out and goes, I won't play. You know, he's not going to say it. So, you know, Aaron Goodwin's in this position, whether it's by virtue of Damian Lillard putting him there or not, I don't know. The, the tough part for Dame is he already has that contract extension that has it, it'll kick in in two seasons. Like, he already has that. So he's under contract for four years. Like, he doesn't have much room to say, I'm only going to play in one spot. If it was, you know, if it was one year left and he's going to be a free agent, it's a little different, but... To say that when you have four years left of your contract, say, I'm only going to one team, it's not fair to the ownership of the Blazers or any team, really. Like, it's it's shifted from the owners having all the power to now the players have all the power. There's got to be some middle ground here uh, between the owners and players to how to, you know, request trades. Justin Herbert says he loves what Kellen Moore is doing for the offense. He joined the Pat McAfee show. Chargers quarterback, punch it. I think we've made huge steps. Um, you know, as an offense, it's a new offense, but we're able to pick it up pretty quickly. And uh, the guys have worked really hard this off offseason to really understand the offense, the ins and outs, and 
um, you know, everything we can do with it. And, and Kellen Moore has done such a great job of teaching and uh, guiding us through it that we really feel like we're making our own offense. Um, and so us, we're going out there making plays and, um, you know, people are playing free and fearless. And I think that's the most important thing when you're playing offense. I think the most important thing in the NFL when you're playing offense is to have a quarterback. Chargers have one. Herbert looks pretty good. He's got his money. He's got his security. Um, I would love to see the Chargers put the pieces around Justin Herbert that, you know, again, we're ta- fresh off talking about Damian Lillard. What's the biggest sin of the Blazers organization? They didn't do enough around Lillard to get it done. Now Justin Herbert finds himself in that position where, you know, he needs his organization to build around him in a credible way. Tomorrow's show should be fun. I appreciate everybody who listens to this show. Grab a podcast of it. If you want to read me, you can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. I hope you have a good evening uh, and hope you have fun around the dinner table.